Welcome to the Shelf Shedding Movie Show. I'm your host, Jason Dubray, and I am so excited for this episode. You have no idea. Two reasons. We're talking about one of my favorite screen actors of all time, Jack Lemmon. This is a Jack Lemmon acting masterclass episode, and I get to have a first-time guest on the show, Lindsay Wilkins. I am so honored to have you on my show. You are kind of through the podcasting world and the links I've made. Everybody loves your show. Everybody respects you. Uh, you were kind enough to have me on your show, Schlock and Awe, without knowing who I was. <laughs> some dude on Twitter. I think he puts a post like, who would like to be on the show sometime? And I said, oh, I'm ready to be your guest at any time. And that's all I've been doing. It's just a random com- uh, Canadian in the middle of the Western Cat of the Prairie. <laughs> infusing myself into people's lives here and so well I was the yeah I have been the random Aussie that has been infusing into people's lives without them knowing it so (laughs) I kind of feel like it's a similar thing no we did a that was a great episode we did a real wild double we did uh what was it single white female and persona wasn't it yes because (laughs) yeah that that was fun I for for going on your show for the first time and I was so thorough with my notes I I have to have everything all my ducks in a row for this one and I don't know why it shows a, well, how about a Bergman movie? Yeah, I was going to say, if you're going to have detailed notes, Bergman's not the, the filmmaker to go for. <laughs> you just have to let it go. Bergman, you just have to go, you know what? I'm just going to let it go. Bergman's yeah. just, yeah, let it wash over me, yeah. which we'll get into Absolutely. another movie where it took me 50 minutes that I had to realize I have to let this movie just wash over me. <laughs> Otherwise, I'm going to be fighting it too much. Um, mm. But yeah, that that is insane. Like, I think the least amount of notes I have is for another um, auteur <laughs> we'll be talking about in the show because I was like, I, I, I can't, I don't know how to do this. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And and I mean, it's it's good to hear that from other podcasters. Because sometimes we feel like we have to do all this research and be the expert on each of the movies that we're reviewing. And there's some where it's just not going to happen, no matter what people have spent, you know decades of their lives trying to figure out uh, filmmakers like Bergman. So I, I think most of these, uh, but you're right. I, I think I know the one you're referring to. Most of these shouldn't be too difficult to be able to, uh, to describe the plot and, and, and analyze in some way here. But uh, the reason I, I, I kind of asked you about this when we, we had talked about having you on the show was I was listening to your fabulous episode on uh, the odd couple. And you had mentioned that Jack Lemmon is one of your favorite or your favorite actors. And so I thought, well, I've wanted to, to talk about Jack Lemmon in this way. And I had this idea of kind of putting some of these together. And I, I didn't have any takers yet for this one. So mm-hmm. I, and, and you said, yeah, Jack Lemmon, yes, please. So thank you for being on the show. And what does uh, Mr. Jack Lemmon mean to you? Oh, thank you for having me. Um, no, Jack Lemmon is definitely one of my favorite actors. He's um, an actor I've grown up with without realizing it um, through a whole different kind of just when you watch movies and, you know, certain people keep popping up. And because Jack Lemmon has had such a long and varied career, he's always kind of going to be there. So when I was younger, it was definitely um, Grumpy Old Men with him and yes. Walter Matthau. Uh, um, which he actually acted with a lot and I loved that movie and then I realized oh wait when I was in my 20s there's this movie called Glenn Gary Glenn Ross which he's also incredible in and a completely different tone of what Grumpy Old Men is and then when I finally got into Wilder who's also one of my favorite directors and realized he may just keep making movies with them and you watch 
the couple of movies we're going to talk about. Um, but it's some of the best performances you'll see on screen. And watching a whole bunch of Billy's together, I suddenly realized, oh, he made six comedies. He just made really good ones. Um, yeah, because everyone's having sex in his movies. It's great. And yeah. it's um, then we'll get into Avanti when he realizes he has free reign and then it goes a bit askew. But it is... Um, yeah, he's always just kind of been there. And the more I watch him, the more you realize he's versatile. I mean, we're going to cover a lot of his um, his uh, comedic roles, but he was also an amazing dramatic actor. Like he kind of just knew, how, it felt like he knew how to walk into a scene, do it, and then walk out again. I don't know if it, was, it obviously isn't like that, but that's, he, he always feels effortless. Yeah. And he's he's charming, but a bit skeezy at the same time, um, especially when he's with Bolton Mathau, which are some of, like, uh, yeah, The Odd Couple's amazing. I don't know if that movie would have worked completely as well if it wasn't for those two because they knew how to bounce off each other, rile each other up. Um, no one could do neurotic quite like <laughs> Jack Lemmon. Uh, yeah, so he's always been one of those actors that's been around. And the more I discover his work, the more I'm like, oh, okay, this guy is quietly incredible because I think he sort of started since he started off as comic though the man has won an Oscar um or a couple um people didn't realize how good the man actually was yeah yeah I, he's a I, I think ultimately an underrated two-time Academy Award winning actor yes <laughs> very very unusual uh to say that and like he kind of reached this this uh, amazing third act of his career in the nineties. And it was the early nineties. And some of the movies that we're talking about where that got going, uh, his chemistry with Walter Matthau, we, we do have a, a, a couple of these buddy movies here. We only have one movie that we're reviewing with uh, Lemon and Matthau. Um, mm. But in preparing for this show, I kind of realized I want to have another Jack Lemon show, but it be all serious films because yes. He is, he is one of the few who could master both of those uh, masks of drama and, and comedy, uh, as it were. And, and I, I just kept thinking, well, I'd like to review that. I'd like to review that. I have reviewed Glenn Gary Glenn Ross on this show. I did a show on sales sales uh, people um, <laughs> before, uh, or else this might have very well ended up that in, in, in this mix, even though that's not a very funny movie. So I kind of decided this is going to be – Quite, it's kind of funny. It's it's very darkly funny when you realize, I mean, Jack Cole, especially, I mean, the Alec Baldwin um, copies uh, are for winners. Um, there's some golden lines in that movie that I think are very darkly funny. <laughs> you just realize that everyone's a loser. No one's making it. And they're all just like top actors at the time. Yeah. yeah. It's um, it's kind of incredible. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I, I, saying that all six of these movies are comedies but there are some pretty serious themes particularly in 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 two of them and then mm. some of the others i think kind of are going for a dark comedy um idea or racy or mm. comedy that pushes the limits but yeah i think um so, uh, someday i'm gonna try to gather together a another show or a show which is lemon versus matho is another one i'm thinking of doing which i think would that be be amazing because uh, I think I was actually just thinking this morning okay who's the better act I, I think it might be okay uh Walter Matthau may come for me as a ghost form but I think it might be Jack just because even though Walter Matthau's given myself my favorite performances say especially in The New Leaf or um Charlie Verrick Jack Lemon if you say uh I think it's the movie Bed and Roses from 1962 which is a very dramatic role it's like um 
Days of Wine and Roses, sorry, um, when he's getting it confused with the British sitcom, um, when he's playing an alcoholic, which I think he was. I think I remember seeing an interview and goes, yeah, I I, I haven't drunk for 30 years, but I I was a big drinker. Um, He's incredible in that. And I don't think I've seen the Walltown Mathal performance where he's gone to those lengths or when he's kind of gone into the depth of the depravity like he does in, say, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, or even in one of the movies we're going to be, or a couple of the movies we're going to be talking about in this one. He yeah. really he knows how to sink himself into that darkness that I don't think Matthew quite ever did. Um, yeah, but Ma- in saying that, yeah, but in saying that, Matthew's great. <laughs> Not just <Yeah>. Matthew. <laughs> like like you, you you miss both these guys and you just miss like Walter Matthew's face and his hand quality and all that. He he did some uh, crime films and I, yeah. I have a, a couple of those laughing uh, policemen and. Few of those where I mean he's not playing for laughs. He is he's dead serious. So I think there oh. were more, more levels to Mathau, but what paid the bills was his comedic work uh, versus Lemon, who was able to be successful in either one, and mm. also had these the directors of the time and the directors uh, great directors of the past wanted wanted Lemon to be in his films. And this really kind of the uh, you mentioned Billy Wilder is the Billy Wilder is the director of four of the movies that we're reviewing here. Uh, yeah. A little bit, a little bit accidental. Um, <laughs> then we're talking with a, a film by another prominent director, and then there's another director. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I can't wait to get into that one. That yeah. one's going to be, um, yeah, yeah. It'll, be, it'll, it'll be interesting to see where we're at here. But uh, is there anything uh, that you'd like to say by way of introduction about uh, this theme, Jack Lemon, or any of these movies? No, I'm really looking forward to getting into it because I think there's some of his best performances and I'm going to say maybe one of his weakest ones in the slot. So I think um, I think this is going to be a really interesting discussion and I'm looking forward to seeing where things um, uh, fall into place. Um, the other thing I, I, I didn't really explain, uh, Schlock and Awe, and I wanted to give, give you a moment to talk about it in a second here, but um, we're, we're kind of playing on your strengths here. We... Kind of last minute decision I, I, I threw at you was um, that we would each include a, a a movie we would double the movie we're reviewing with because mm. on your show it's always two movies that are reviewed um, and again sometimes it seems like it's uh, you know um, uh, two two of the movies for me are awe but uh, but, but uh, I think the idea here is something that people would see as as high entertainment paired with something that is considered, I don't know, maybe... Low entertainment, yeah. Yeah, even though... Yeah. It went by the wayside. <laughs> it gets a little bit muddy. Like, I, it does. I, we talked about, we said glowing things about single white female, but it's not respected the same way as, as Persona is there. So hopefully through this we'll get interesting triples because I, yes. I don't know, unless something, unless we're thinking exactly alike, we will probably have uh, two movies that... Uh, there were some sort of themes or, or things to, to uh, remind us of. So before I mention the movies we're going to review, uh, Schlock and Awe, and it's kind of through the Halloween months. We're still in October when we're recording this. I suspect this will be released in November. Mm. But you've uh, you've been focusing, it looks like, on the Halloween franchise. And the, the last one, I'm a couple episodes behind, but I, I listened to the brilliant pairing of uh, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory and Halloween 3. <laughs> they are the same movie, really, when you think about it. Um, no, this is it's kind of the perfect, I guess, schlock and all double. I mean, the Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory is not considered a schlocky movie by any respect. 
Um, Halloween 3 is, actually, but I love it. It's my favourite Halloween movie, um, the one without Michael, so of course it is. Um, but those kind of just uh, very weirdly folky horror all kind of wrapped in together when they're not. I don't know. It was They're both very weird movies. Um, they are. And I adore Willy Wonka as well. It's what I grew up with that. I watched it so often as a kid um, that it just kind of feels like routine or like a really comfy sweater when you put it when you watch it um but yeah no we'll be doing all michael myers this halloween uh just in time for the new halloween movie which i forgot was coming out i swear <laughs> just like, oh, oh that's right halloween ends is coming out um but no it's been really fun and it's been really fun to put these slashes oh sorry up against um different genres of movies yeah. uh not necessarily always horror some yeah mostly horror but it's it's been um i don't think i've paired any of them with other slashes i think i might be wrong in that um but it's been a really interesting way of looking at how horror has gone through since like the 1970s that's a long-running franchise that has and it made so many things possible but back to jack lemon here so the uh the order we're gonna review we're gonna be taking a look at an academy award-winning film for best picture the apartment directed by billy wilder we're also going to look at avanti uh, directed by billy wilder we're gonna look at a massive movie and i am going to say right now we are not going to be covering this completely this this would be a podcast onto itself on robert altman's uh, 1993 movie shortcuts kind of mm -hmm. the most contemporary if you will even though <laughs> whatever, 29 years old, but um, uh, of the films that we're uh, covering. Mm -hmm. Then uh, we're going to look at, again, Billy Wilder's The Fortune Cookie, and this was the movie that Walter Matthau won an Oscar for. Uh, oh, shit, did he? Oh, I did not know that. It's yeah. insane. He won, <laughs> he won Best Supporting Actor for this 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 film. Yeah. Cool. And, yeah, so we'll, we'll get into that a little bit. Then a movie not directed uh, by uh, Billy Wilder with a very interesting title. It's uh, How to Murder Your Wife. And it's uh, directed by Richard Quinn, is my guess. Quinn or Quinn, one of the two, yeah. Quinny or Quinn, yeah. Mm. And then we're going to end off with a very, very famous comedy, also directed by Billy Wilder, Some Like It Hot. So thank you for, so much for uh, joining me for uh, this, uh, I think, ultimately a celebration of uh, the great career of Jack Lemmon. Ingredient number one, a very warm, very wonderful story about a boy, a girl, and a very special kind of problem. Did you hear what I said, Miss Kubelik? I absolutely adore you. Shut up and deal. Ingredient number two, a brilliant cast. Jack Lemon in a delightful role which gives full reign to Jack's amazing versatility. Shirley MacLaine whose glowing warmth lights up the screen like a Christmas tree. Fred McMurray. This is a Fred McMurray you've never seen before. You know, you see a girl a couple of times a week just for laughs, and right away they think you're going to divorce your wife. <laughs> I ask you, is that, is that fair? No, sir, it's very unfair, especially to your wife. Yeah. Ingredient number three, Billy Wilder. There's nothing quite like that Billy Wilder, some like it hot kind of laughter. <laughs> Are we dressing for dinner? You know, just come as you are. So you're pretty good with that racket. You should see my backhand. 
Where'd you see me serve the meatballs? <laughs> Mildred, he's at it again. It's very unusual for a comedy uh, to win uh, Best Picture at the Academy Awards. Or, and it's also really unusual for a director, even though the last few years has kind of been kind of a piling on of uh, some some directors winning multiple awards in one night. But The Apartment was the first time ever that uh, somebody won three Oscars in the same night for being the producer of The Apartment, the director, and the screenwriter, and that is uh, Billy Wilder. This uh, this film is um, essentially about Jack Lemmon, who is a Manhattan insurance clerk who has ambitions to become rise up higher in this insurance company. And he lets all of the executives use his apartment for uh, their affairs. Um, but uh, that goes a step too far when a, uh, uh, an elevator girl that he uh, has a crush on, he um, discovers is having an affair with one of, uh, one of his bosses and uh, he's not happy about it. And, that leads to a pretty dramatic uh, sequence. So there is a real serious edge uh, when it comes to uh, the storyline for the Shirley MacLaine character uh, in this oh, yeah. film. Hmm. So before we get into uh, reviewing this, I'll uh, start off with your choice for a double for uh, The Apartment. Uh, I decided to go, because I've actually done The Apartment on my show, which we, uh, which I would have actually chosen um, The Secretary, but we're not, but I've already talked about that. Oh, so yeah. I, did, I decided to go even darker and actually go for Mary Heron's American Psycho from 2000. I think my mask of sanity is about to slip. If you stay, something bad will happen. Sabrina, why don't you dance a little? Christy, get down on your knees. Can we go now? We're not through yet. I like to dissect girls. Did you know I'm utterly insane? Do you have any witnesses or fingerprints? Actually, yes. Hmm. <laughs> Very nice. I don't want to get bruised. You're inhuman. I know my uh, behavior can be I need to engage in homicidal behavior on a massive scale. Hey, Paul! Ah! So what do you do? I'm into uh, murders and executions mostly. I have to kill a lot of people. Um, the corporate, yeah, the corporate element of um, of the apartment still feels very fresh and very real, even though this was made. It was made in 1959. It was released in 1960. It won an Academy Award for it. Um, Billy Wilder's um, ability to really push the boundaries of what censors would allow, even at that time, in the 1960s, they were starting to fall away, but this is still a pretty big topic to take on. And there's a ludicrousy to the um, to the apartment, especially that first, well, we'll get into my, I love the apartment. So we'll get into that amazing shot. We see all the, the friggin' typewriters, like it's the the trial or something from Kafka, and then 
you just pair it with American Psycho and you have Christian Bale running around with an axe while singing um, Huey Lewis in the news. It's, <laughs> it fits. I feel it fits. <laughs> well, I, I think that that kind of satire of this corporate world mm. and the concept of the American dream and what you have to do to be successful in the American dream, which is ultimately as sell your you know, soul. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sell your soul. I mean, you know, uh, he, he, he spends he, all this time trying to suck up and do everything for for these people. And he even stays in Central Park uh, when it's freezing cold and he gets a cold. Uh, I Ironically, a little bit of method acting in there. Apparently, when they were shooting it, it was sub-zero weather in New York City. Uh, uh, I think it was New York. Yeah, they must have shot that part in New York because it wouldn't have made they sense. Did shoot, yeah, they shot a little bit in New York. Yeah, they didn't shoot yeah. everything. Yeah. Um, but they it did shoot just, some of the street stuff in New York, yeah. And I think that that street shot Lemon himself got a cold from <laughs> shooting that scene. So art imitating life has sometimes happened there. Hmm. Um, yeah, I okay. So um, my, I, I guess my my double isn't well. <laughs> when you hear who the star is, you might say it might be darker. I don't know, but. Hmm. Um, and this kind of goes back to uh, a father-son relationship off-screen that happened with Jack Lemmon and a uh, young actor who now we cannot name, name but I'm going to name him anyway, Kevin Spacey. Uh, and I'm going to mention American Beauty. Today I blackmailed my boss for almost $60,000 past these parents. What? My parents are trying to take an active interest in me. I'm so proud of you. You didn't screw up once. Oh my God, it's a psycho next door. I didn't mean to scare you, I'm just curious. Why does he dress like a Bible salesman? Oh, I see. You think you're the only one who's sexually frustrated. Well then, come on, baby, I'm ready. There happens to be a lot about me that you don't know, Mr. Smarty Man. For your own good, boy. Yes, sir. Don't give up on me, Dad. Sometimes there's so much beauty in the world, I feel like I can't take it. You know, you bring out the absolute worst in me. Smile. You're at Mr. Smiley's. You are so busted. When Spacey won his second Oscar uh, for this role, he dedicated it to Jack Lemmon, who's, he said, his performance in The Apartment is what uh, inspired him to give the performance in American Beauty. All no, right. you can, yeah, you can see it. I remember him winning that Oscar. I remember going to a terrible date, actually, to go see American Beauty. <laughs> it was very awkward. Um, no, it's, uh, I haven't seen it since 99. Um, I remember really loving um, Annette Benning in it. Yes. I remember loving the, the friggin' plastic bag still stays in my head. So I don't, I know Chris Cooper's in this, who I adore. Um, I think it's, a, but I think it's a really good choice. It's that same satire of the malaise of kind of suburban corporate life. It, yeah. it is, um, I don't know whether how, yeah, this movie has not aged well, not in probably because of the homosexual uh, queer storyline as well as just Kevin Spacey the, of it all. Mm -hmm. um, but there are still images from that movie that I can still remember very vividly. Yeah. Um, it's got a great cast. 
And I think it's, yeah, that is actually a really good pairing though. Um, yeah, you go to, you think back, oh yeah, that's why he was such a good actor because he was actually a, the worst. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Not that much acting required. <laughs> roll off the roll. This is actually one of his nicer characters. It really <laughs> is. Yeah. Maybe he was acting in this one a little yeah, bit. Yeah, <laughs> maybe it required more. Um, you mentioned the office uh, and the whole uh, set in art direction mm. piece and the cinematography there. Uh, there are the scenes in, in Kevin Spacey's character's office there just before he like tells his boss to F off and quits his job and know that midlife crisis. That mm. setting reminds me also so much of uh, the apartment there. So I, you know, I, I hesitate to bring up a Kevin Spacey uh, Academy Award winning film here because it seems like, you know, you can't do that anymore. But um, I, I saw a lot of connections there. So it might, it might be a more obvious um, connection, but I, but I, I, I think all three of those films are uh, criticizing uh, the concept of the American dream and, and how that's uh, approached. So very much so. So uh, your thoughts on the apartment. Uh, I love it. It's one of my favorite movies. <laughs> I watch it once a year. <laughs> um no it's it is a it, yes it's kind of cliche to say because it did win the oscar billy wilder got fully accoladed that night um as he should have because the script is i can't say it's his best movie movie because you still have uh sunset boulevard running around and that kind of thing but it is it's a masterpiece of a movie and you're watching it going one he got away with this and two they applauded him for it mm -hmm. and this uh movie is so much about sexism and exploitation of these corporate men and how they're exploiting Jack Lemon to, to begin with, but he's kind of fully on board with it and trying to be part of the boys club. Um, the whole scene when he has the cold and he's trying to switch around his, his guys who have appointments for his apartment. Um, I always watch this movie every time I watch it. I'm like, do you, how often do you change your sheets? I mean, you'd have to change your sheets. I mean, this movie is explicitly saying, these guys are having sex in your bed. So it's yeah. not, um, but no, I think uh, Jack Lemmon's performance, I think this is one of his, his best. The I mean, CeCe Baxter is such a sleaze in this movie. The way he sort of first interacts with Shirley MacLaine and he notices her, that she's cut her hair. And then he says, oh, because I've read your file. So I know all these things about you. Yeah. I, I had that on the negative side that that's. Yeah. It that doesn't but, read as charming now and i don't know if it, it did in 1960 or not but i think it was kind of meant to because i think that's how men flirted with women is that they stalk them i mean i just recently watched the wolfman and the whole thing is um lon cheney jr's um larry talbot is spying on this girl for this telescope in her bedroom and he can go in and say ah oh, i want those earrings that i saw you putting on your bedroom she's like hang on a minute um so i think that was kind of romantic but what you, as you proceed to watch the movie, and because uh, 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 Lemon is charming in this movie, oh, you yeah. realize that that is not acceptable. That is not appropriate. That is not. So by the time their first interaction in the movie to their last interaction, where she's dealing the cards, and he goes, I love you. I, I adore you. And she's like, you know, do the thing. That's how you're meant to interact with someone that you care about. It is not trying to play this game of, um, look how powerful I am. It's just a genuine moment between two people. And so, yeah, this is um, this is one of my New Year's Eve movies. I, I, I tend to watch it New Year's Eve. Yeah. Cliché, I know. <laughs> well, no. And it's, um, 
yeah, I mean, the, the, the climax of, of so many great films are New Year's Eve. And yeah. uh, this is this is this is definitely one of them. I, I really like what Lemon does too, and it, it, to me, this is a role that plays to all of his strengths because we Very have nicer. we have the making spaghetti using the tennis racket, which is kind of mm. a famous. Uh, great use of a yeah. prop and a very famous scene. And he describes this and then he actually has to do it for us, yes. on, us um, on camera. Uh, and the scene that you described too, where he's trying to rearrange his entire schedule. Um, just the balance of that, like how well written that is, but it's all on lemon to be able to do that. And just a little bits of business that he does. Mm. He's trying to keep track. Oh, who did I just phone? Oh, oh okay. So this one, he's going through his Rolodex. Uh, again, younger generations won't know what a Rolodex is, but uh, going through and trying to figure out all the numbers and, and, and get this to, to work. And every time I see it, I, I forget whether he actually gets it to work out or, or not. And uh, he sort of does at the end of it. But this poor guy is so sick. He shouldn't be at work. And uh, and just his, his, his life is a bit of a, um, bit of a mess. There, there's some other pieces in there, too, which I think, uh, subtly satire, or subtly satirize um, America at that time. There's that um, sequence where finally he has the place to himself for a night. He turns on TV to relax, and uh, Grand Hotel is going to play. And it's you know he's so excited to see this this great movie, and it's constantly being interrupted with commercials. And yes. then he switches to something else. And and he, he just can't get away from the commercialism of that world. And I would say, like, we're way, way, way worse for that now than, than it ever happened oh, in 1960. So. I, yeah, Billy Wilder, I think, is making a specific point on New York at that time as well, not just um, the rest of – though I think he is sort of talking about the rest of America, but I think he's really nailing in, in New York that to go to New York, you have to do certain things to be successful and you're going mm -hmm. to be sold – everything i mean you could probably say the same thing about la um but it's like something if you've ever seen all about eve you that thing is really poking at um new york theater but you could easily go well it's also la he just can't say la but it is this gorgeous kind of thing of he can't escape capitalism at any turn he's either having to deal with it with his bosses who and he's got a really good apartment let's be clear that apartment is Whoa amazing like yeah. um i can see why these guys kind of latched onto him when they found out that when he has a one-room apartment where they can freely come and go it's gorgeous it's got a you know it's got a slight sizable kitchen this is even new york in 1960 real estate was hard <laughs> um so yeah i can kind of see and uh, lemon kind of or cc baxter realizes this is a bargaining tool this is my kind of capitalist kind of thing i can contribute to the thing and it is so um men can bring their um mistresses um yeah it's it's very i mean you can see how this is reverber rever rever reverberated can't say the word um throughout thing i mean not only american um be uh, american beauty but also the um the oh shoot the don lemon uh, not um mad Ma mad, mad men, men sorry i was gonna mention mad men i don't think that would have happened if it wasn't for the apartment I no mean, yeah that is totally yeah. out of the world at the time is, it was happening yeah. It was that happening. Everyone had who worked in the city had families out in the suburbs and they had an apartment in the city and or they kind of were so they were having these two very distinct different worlds and they were constantly selling. I mean, the whole thing about Mad Men's an advertising agency. So it's how you sell the dream. And this is 
I love how funny this movie is. I love how, I mean, Jack Lemmon had a darkness in him, I think, um, that he could go to those places, but yet still be incredibly charming. Even though he's been completely skeezy at the front with, um, at the top with uh, Shirley MacLaine, um, you can still see the charm and the niceness in him. Like, he's still trying to be a good guy. He's just trying to, he's he, he's one of those, um, oh, there's this line that doesn't hold true in the social network when I think what, uh, uh, what's your name says to um, Zuckerberg, you're not a nice, you're, you're a nice guy. You're not very good at playing a dickhead. Now we know that it's actually true. That, that, that movie is not aged well for that reason, even though I love it. But it's the same with CeCe Baxter. Yeah. He's a nice guy who's trying to be an asshole and he can't, he can't do it. Yeah, he doesn't, do it's it. not fundamentally who he is. Yeah. And he finally faces that very, very late in the film. Yeah. Um, that, that, that change happens. So we have this nice arc for his character. Um, kind of the, the Don Draper, if you will, of, of this film is Fred, Fred McMurray. McMurray. At the time, there's a shocking casting choice because he was father knows best and he was in yeah. Disney movies and, and, and all this. And he, he really is the villain of the piece, but he's a good looking fella. And you can sort of see why Shirley McLean's character had fallen for him as much as she had. But he, he is just an absolute jerk and, and he went for it. But apparently his, his fans of his other stuff gave him such a hard time in public about doing such a dirty uh immoral role well no wilder knew how to use him uh he used him in double indemnity really well and he is the other one yeah he's great yeah he is he is a sleaze i mean he is a delightful sleaze in that movie and is him and um barbara steinwick absolutely go for it and they are the worst people who fall in love and they are absolutely captivating and i adore him in that movie because again he's charming he's handsome he's brutal He's willing to do anything to get where he thinks he needs to be. And he's he's the same character in this, so he can play it well. But, yeah, I remember watching it. I was, wait, is this the first time I watched it? Wait, is this the guy from Father Knows Best? <laughs> what, what is happening? <laughs> he had this whole other life I didn't even know about. But he is so great, and he does make you – and I think that whole – Wilder played on this persona he had sort of built up really well because instantly when you see him, it's like, oh, I can trust this guy. Oh, no, wait, he wants the key? Oh, he's do he's messing with Shirley McLean. Oh, don't don't hurt Shirley. Um, I, Mrs. Kubelich, I like her. Miss, yeah. Um, Billy Wilder had a knack for surnames. Um, yeah. There's an instant of trust, and when you realize that he's breaking that kind of persona, it kind of makes you very uncomfortable because you know things are going to get bad. And Billy had a way of sneaking a darkness into a movie that you don't quite expect it. And it's through all of his films, when you sort of look at what they're actually about, they are super, super dark. Um, and this one is one of his, uh, don't, don't know if it's his darkest, but it's definitely up there, especially because the line Shirley MacLaine has, he goes, oh, your mirror's broken. She goes, yeah, it reflects how I feel about myself. It's oh. such a dark line. And it takes, and the fact that it takes C.C. Baxter too long to kind of realize what's happened um and how she's feeling and the fact that he finds her in the apartment um i think that's when he kind of realized the human cost of of what these men are doing to these women how they're exploiting them just for purely for sex and it's these women are worth more than that yeah. and yeah shirley mclean because she's the 
the elevator operator she's like way down the rung on status mm -hmm. like even lower than the secretaries so it's literally McMurray playing with her heart and it's um already a broken woman to begin with and then yeah. he just makes it worse yeah and i i think kind of before this i'm not sure anybody knew that shirley mclean had this at the time had this kind of performance in in her and uh, and and she's great i it's it's not, I mean, some kind of flirty, cutesy moments, but it, it is mostly a dramatic role. It uh, is. Everyone's and, being silly and she's playing it very straight. Even yeah. when she's flirting, she can tell that she's holding back a little bit. She's like, oh, I don't know about this guy. Like, yeah, yeah okay, I'll say I'll meet you to get rid of you because you're being annoying right now. So I'll say you, I'll meet you on the square, but I'm really going to go have dinner with, uh, with, my, with McMurray um because i don't really want to deal with you right now she's very good at deflecting and that's very realistic <laughs> and that's before i mean uh you know I, I would warn people before seeing this if they think it's going to be a light comedy that uh, there is a suicide attempt and there is you know the her, her character's depression mm. is very well realized and for the time quite you know um like three-dimensional it's not used for as some sort of um a bit or what it, it is it is all there and that like it's interesting some of the techniques to try to uh save her life that like oh, have her drink yeah. coffee and and walk all night and the, basically the two men are, are trying to walk her around there with the um with the uh, the doctor who lives next door um and for this role so you should have yeah that midge yeah. speech is fantastic <laughs> yeah it, it sure is so I think we're both fans of this. Uh, yeah. I, there, I, couple, I, I always like to have a couple things when it's a mostly positive review. If it's a mostly negative review, I like to say some nice things, mostly positive. I, I, and I think we just kind of said about the kind of the creepy stalkerish way that Lemon kind of creeps into uh, Shirley mm. McLean's life. Um, I had some other really nitpicky ones. There's the, the one guy who he's forced to take his date to a drive-in. Uh, it's December in New York City. I don't know what driving is open in because it's just before Christmas. I, I, I didn't I think. Know. That, yeah. um, and I mean, this is, and it, I guess it's the point. I don't know if Wilder knew that. He, uh, I'm not sure if he would have ever recognized the term toxic masculinity, but he uh, he displayed it very well. But I'm, I don't know if he completely had, was, had a comment on it or was saying anything against it. He was saying he was going against a couple of other bigger ideas, but I, I'm, I, and I noticed in some of his films that there there is that kind of again it was the era I guess he was making movies in, and maybe I'm. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. This is the thing I've always kind of grappled with Wilder because I've always kind of wondered, do you have these ideas in mind? Because I know that he always um it. He, his films feel very progressive. Even we'll get into some like at heart, which is aged way better than it should have, like in terms of what that movie is actually about. That movie, you should be watching it cringing and you're not because you're seeing this amazing fluidity and this kind of pro-queer um, kind of movie in a way. Like I have read things that say it is very not, but that's how I, I, I kind of see it, um, especially with Jack Lemmon's character. Um, and... But I've always sort of, and I know that even with uh, something like Sunset Boulevard, I think they've aged better because Wilder was more of a humanist, I think. He was a very humanist creator. Um, so he was able to, even 
though a character like um, Norma Desmond is very horrific. She's clearly a monster, but that whole scene of her doing the beauty treatments in that movie was meant to be a joke and to make fun of her. Now you watch it and because the whole movie is so humanist, you have so much more sympathy for her because you know how the industry, and it is a comment of how the industry works. Like these women get old and they're done. And that Mm -hmm. is definitely a comment. So I've always sort of wondered how much was conscious and or how much was just an accident because he was such the humanist. And this is a guy who escaped Nazi Austria. (laughs) So he was very aware of not liking strong men. So it is, um, that is something I've always grappled with. And I don't think I have an answer because I know he, for a fact, that Jack Lemmon and a few other guys were the only ones who were ever able to improv a little bit. Whereas the woman had to get it exact. And there he had a lot of issues with women not reading the lines exactly. It's like he always thought, okay, women aren't as good as actors as my boy Lemon, which when you yeah. watch his movies, that is clearly not the case. Because um, Shirley MacLaine, and she has even said he was a hard ass. If you did not read the script with the pause that he wanted, you had to do the take again, whereas um, some of the guys could be a little looser with it. So I think there was still that there. But again, you're still such a humanist that you watch The Apartment and it feels, I mean, it feels so fresh and so relevant in how people act with each other and how people exploit each other and take advantage and all that, that you're like, and the fact that the, the way they show um, Sheila McLean's uh, depression is incredible. So I'm like, so which is it? <laughs> which is going on? <laughs> I think, you know, history, look, we'll, we'll look fondly on him as one of the great directors of all time. Whether yes. it was accidental or not, I, I guess we'll we'll go with the positive that he he had this in mind and he found ways to sort of get around the uh, more uh, repressive or sexist uh, um, ideas at the time. But yeah, I, I have heard that, and I mean, once we get to some like it hot and his oh, yeah. Marilyn Monroe as well, that yes, the the females had to get it exactly right, uh, and Shirley MacLaine was put through a bit of an ordeal with some of the scenes for sure. She so, was, yeah. yeah. There was certain, I mean, you've seen this with directors over and over again, the fame, most famous is Stanley Kubrick with uh, Shelley Duvall in, in The Shining. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. like they can't trust uh, female actors to know how to act. Um, so I think there's a little bit of sexism definitely there, but he was definitely a product of his time. But then you watch the apartment and you're like, doesn't quite, hmm. Okay, no, Billy Wilde was a man of many, many colours, so yeah. <laughs> which is yeah. probably why he's my favourite director. <laughs> And the apartment is just to me one of the great comedies, great movies of all time. And yeah, I went spoilers for the end, but there'll be there'll be lots of points that I distribute towards it too, and I get the sense for you as well. So yes, we're in agreement on this one here. Yes, I did. I did. I I gave the points first, and then I realized, wait, you need the points for the other movies, Lindsay. Calm down. <laughs> Avanti. Oh, you read the Newsweek article, right? I've been called plump. I've been called pudgy. I've been called chubby. You bet your sweet batuti. You mean all the time that we thought he was over here getting cured, he was getting... 
Why don't we bury them here? If I don't get him back to Baltimore in time for that funeral on Tuesday, there's going to be such a scandal. There's a lovely old cemetery up on the hill. They could be there together. Miss Piggott, they were not the unknown soldier. They were the unknown lovers. Signor Cipriani informs me that when he locked up the place, the bodies were gone. Gone? Gone where? Arnoldo Trotta, Alfredo Trotta, Adolfo Trotta, Papa Trotta, and I am Armando Trotta. That's a lot of trotters. What about Sacco and Vanzetti? It was a bum rap. You just cannot get decent help these days. Let me make one thing perfectly clear. Miss Pickett and I are playing frog league. It's not that I'm women's lib or anything. I don't mind being treated as a sex object. You mean you and me is with... Wasn't that the whole idea? You bet your sweet patootie. Well, I don't want you to think that I'm stuffy or up tight or anything. I'm considered a pretty groovy cat, you know? Tuned in. Like when I'm on business in Los Angeles, I always have lunch at a, at a topless place. Oh, my God. Miss Pickett! Avanti. We're going to fast forward to the 1970s, 1972 Avanti. I had watched this one, I think, once before. I, I remember having a miserable time with it. And and so I don't, I, that must have been a false memory because I, I do have a, a mix of positives and negatives about this one. But I, I kind of started in, in a, a good mood with it and that mostly continued throughout uh, and this was kind of, to me, I'd, one I had either forgotten about, and it was like a little bit more of a, even though I had seen it before, more of a discovery for me. Yet I could totally understand why some people would have, have no time for this one. It's a, it's a strange, strange film that you think is about one thing, and then it's another thing, and then it's another thing Changes after again. that. <laughs> you know? And it, based on a play, uh, it's about uh, Jack Lemmon plays this successful businessman. He goes to Italy to arrange for the return of his father's body and it's within two days or something or three days they're going to be having a funeral in baltimore where he's from and every important person from baltimore is going to be there and he's coming in as like the uh archetypical uh american into italy and telling them how they should be running their country and how things should be going and i think a lot of that stuff early in the film works well and then he gets a surprise once he arrives at this kind of resort hotel where he's staying and where his, his his father had died, that in fact his his father had not died alone and had a uh, mistress that he knew absolutely nothing about. And then he goes through various stages of emotions about this and starts off by respecting his father into thinking he's a, a horrible person for having this uh, affair. Uh, and then he encounters the daughter of uh, the woman that his um, that his uh, father had this affair with, played by uh, Juliet Mills, uh, who mm -hmm. is the sister of Haley Mills, the famous Pollyanna and Parent Trap, the Disney star, among many other things. But that's what she's most famous for. And she plays Pamela Piggott, uh, is her name. And slowly, and at first I thought in kind of a bit of a convoluted way, but then it kind of gets there there tends to be a bit of an attraction that emerges 
between the two of them as much as Lemon is trying to resist this because he is a seemingly happily married man. And they're going through this grief and the, all, all of the stuff and these discoveries together, yet they're approaching it in a very different way. And, and so I guess when they started to cross my arms a little bit was we're getting into a love story, but then how, and, and we start to have these bizarre parallels apparently between the, the relationship that happened with his father and, mm-hmm. uh, and with uh, Pamela's uh, mother. And I, I just thought this, this, is, this isn't working. And I think it's, the movie felt long and I it think is there's too, too <laughs> many, too many subplots. There's, you know, there's this one with uh, this blackmail uh, scheme with one of the employees. Oh yeah. And, and he has this, that. this this girlfriend. And then there's a separate bit with uh, the vineyard owners who want want to be paid because there's been damage to their crop because of this this car accident. All of, also and, might be in the mafia as well. I don't know. Every single Italian is either working at the hotels or in the mafia. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And again, the Italian Defamation League probably doesn't like this movie that much. I, I, I would imagine they would not know. And then the other bit that I, I think you could probably cut out of the movie and not lose anything uh, is there's this 90-year-old man. He's in a wheelchair, but then he gets up and he dances with these really young nurses and uh, very suggestive sequences in there it's so i i don't know it's interesting that it was billy wilder i mean his films normally feel focused and maybe it's the source material that's the problem here uh if you take a three-hour play and try to condense it to a two-hour movie still two and a half hours they didn't really condense it that much yeah i i don't think they would have but it yeah it it and i i don't mind long movies we're gonna be talking about a really long movie later on here Hmm. um and so I don't mind that, but I, I'm, I guess I'm growing more impatient with uh, extraneous material. And I think no, it, it's a good point. It feels like Wilder, nineteen seventy-two. One, this movie is way too long. Like you could have cut like another fifty minutes out of it, and it, if you just focused on uh, Julie and and Jack, um, that would have been. Uh, I think that, that, that would can't remember their characters' names. Um, that yeah, would have been really. Yeah. Wendell Armbruster Jr. is Jack Lemmon's yes. character here. So. Yeah, and um, that he went, oh, I actually have, I don't have senses anymore, so I can actually just make up a straight out sex comedy, which mm-hmm. this is. It's all about set pieces. It's a farce. Some of these, some of the set pieces are amazing. Like I love when the boyfriend first walks in with the flowers to the hotel. It's just this great kind of physical comedic kind of thing. And the, the vineyard guys with these amazing mafia faces just looking all kind of getting uglier as they go on. Yeah. And just some of the sort of set pieces. But it kind of felt like Billy Wilder could show boobs and got way too excited about it. <laughs> it yeah. um, I mean, it's like Hitchcock. I mean, Hitchcock, when he made Frenzy, showed you boobs and you got very upset because that was not how you wanted to see boobs in a movie. Um, it, um, and Billy Wilder, who always made his movies about sex, there's always a sexual undertone, finally got to it and went, okay, now I don't know quite what to do with, do with this. And... Mm-hmm. They put poor um, Piggott in some hideous dresses. I, I don't know what's going on, why they have to keep doing the fat jokes with her because she they, is they clearly no not. Sense. They made no. absolutely no sense. Like, oh, I kept- I'm eating an apple. I was like, what? She's not. Oh, my. I was. Okay, fine. 1972 sex comedy, but can we stop with the fat jokes? No, I mean, this but made this is a fast zero sense. It was just like this weird character trope. Oh, I'm a pixie dream girl and I'm fat. 
Okay. Um, but no, this is a fascinating movie. And I think there are moments of absolute brilliance where you see Wilder there, like when they first see the bodies for the first time. It's a really That's beautiful great, moment. Beautifully um, scene, yes. Yeah, I love um, my favorite joke is the first joke of the whole film where you see Lemon get out of a private jet to run onto a commercial airline, I think is genius. Yes. The whole thing at customs when he's like wearing someone else's clothes, but yeah. he didn't he does have the right passport. I'm like, wow, yeah. customs was easy back then. That's exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, and all these kind of things. So there are mo and something, a few things toward the end when you do have those moments when they realize they're falling in love and these kind of quiet moments are all beautiful. But then you just have everything else with, okay, I've got to do this gag. I've got to do set up for this extravagant gag. Okay, we're going to do this. It's going to take ages to get there. And it kind of felt that Billy Wilder could do anything in this movie and he tried to and it, so it does come out a bit of a mess. Um, I think it's a really interesting mess. I don't think it's as bad as people I've heard say Avanti is because I still think there's a lot to enjoy. But a lot of the I was getting, I'm like, okay, come on, Billy, come on. I know what you're trying to do here, but come on. <laughs> I, I kept writing negative notes, but at the end of it, I'm like, I kind of like this movie. Yeah, uh, me too. It's, I think it's, it's, it's a weird one. It's a, it's kind of its own thing. And it's oh. so different from the rest of the movies in his canon. Going into the double, I, I, I had for it, and, and it's, it seems like a weird one, but I mean, there's a plane that takes off at the end, and there's a certain way that things are going to go for this, uh, our romantic leads at the mm -hmm. end, but I actually chose Casablanca. Play it, Sam. You must remember this, a kiss is just a kiss, a sigh is just a sigh. There is a man arrived in Casablanca on his way to America. He will offer a fortune to anyone who will furnish him with an exit visa. Well, what's his name? Victor Laszlo. It's still the same. It's perhaps a strange circumstance. We both should be in love with the same woman. A case of do or die. The world will always welcome lovers as time goes by. He's looking at you, kid. Oh, I didn't even think of that. That's amazing. Yes. To, yeah, because they, yes, that is absolutely perfect. Um, no, I went a lot, I went a lot more basic, but I went uh, forgetting Sarah Marshall. <laughs> hey, you got here fast. I got a surprise for you. Peter, as you know, I love you. Are you breaking up with me? Pete, are you, um... <laughs> We're leading different lives. It's like you're standing on the dock and I'm in the lake. Sarah, I swear to God, I'll jump in the lake like a merman. Do you want to put some clothes on? Would you like to pick out the outfit that you break up with me in? Sexy crime fighter Sarah Marshall has been spotted cozying up to singer and notorious Lothario Aldis Snow. <laughs> She's dating somebody. And until I do the same thing, I'm going to feel like I want to die. Hi. Hi. 
you mind not saying that? Do you want to gag me? Kind of now. I had sex with this woman who I barely even know. I'm really scared that I have an STD, Doc. Peter, I'm a pediatrician. Have you noticed you're sitting on a fire truck? <laughs> Everywhere I look, I'm reminded of her. Why don't you go on a vacation? I could go to Hawaii. Welcome to Turtle Bay and enjoy your stay. Peter, what are you doing here? <gasps> this is a disaster. Go someplace else. I'm not leaving here. It'll look like I'm running away. I'd like to grab some dinner, please. Is your girlfriend joining you? No. You're just by yourself? Yeah. I just would be so depressed. Wait, wait. Did you see her boyfriend? He is ridiculous. I like her hair. I wonder if the carpet matches her pubes. Get out of your head. It's really nice out here. Are you going to jump or what? Come on, Peter. I can see your vagina from here. I'll jump. Universal Pictures presents. My homie over here on this honeymoon. Are you giving to a hard and rough life? Wants me to do certain things. No, no. God would not put a playground next to a sewage system. A comedy about getting left behind and coming out ahead. I think it's good you're getting out there. I think you need to move just a tiny bit further away from the microphone. Oh. No closer. Oh. Now a little further. Okay. Closer. And then. Oh, I know what you're doing. You <laughs> stop that. Forgetting Sarah Marshall. That's a great necklace, Liz. Did you have that a second ago? Oh, that's gross. Yes. Um, yeah. They are very similar in tone. And I was sort of, when I was watching, I'm like, did Sarah Marshall actually just kind of take what Avanti did quite a bit and just make a movie out of it, but kind of shorter and a little bit more tighter? Um, but it is, and Sarah Marshall is a very unwieldy movie. It's, I think, I'm not sure, I'm sure Aperture had to have produced it. I think he produced everything in the, in the noughties. Yeah, and it's just got some of those moments in there, but just hold the weird beach vibe and everyone's a character and everything like that. It's very, very, very similar uh, pairing, but I was like, yeah, let's go I'll go Sarah Marshall. But I love the Casablanca of it all. That's amazing. The nudity in Sarah Marshall and the nudity in this also. So. Oh, my God, yes, yeah. yes. I love the fact that he's trying to put his socks over her boobs to try and And the reveal that you think they're kind of lying there and then you realize that they're both probably naked. Oh, they're yeah. both naked is is kind of a joy it's kind of like a oh shit <laughs> that's great <laughs> yeah so i mean I, I i guess if you fight this movie or if you're if you get to a point where you're impatient with it then it's not going to be a good time but no i was so fascinated once it kind of turned different directions and some i wouldn't have done and some i wouldn't have liked and things i would have taken out but i was like because I just completely, I saw it, but I, I, I didn't remember anything about this movie. I don't, that's not maybe a good sign. I don't know, but mm. I normally remember a movie I've seen before. By the end, I was kind of like, yeah, I mean, this is this is how we got there to there. And as convoluted as some things were, I was kind of buying it towards the end. Um, I, I would say probably the the fate of this couple is is different, of course, than in Casablanca. Like the, the fact is they they are living different lives and those lives it, it would have been silly if he had given up his his life in america and not you know uh, spoilers for the end there but had, had not gone back to have a funeral yeah. for for his dad i what did you think of the music did you like the music oh kind of remember the music i remember being very jaunty am i am i forgetting it i might have forgotten it the music um no, it sort of seemed very on holiday music from memory, but I'm not yeah. remembering it that well. Um, no, the thing that sort of struck me about 
this movie is wild is usually such a concise tight director even when his movies are usually two hours but he knows exactly how to work it what kind of movements he wants and everything like that and this one is just like he still got that but it feels very unwieldy so you get some moments that are perfectly constructed and then another 15 minutes when it's just like and anything goes <laughs> what did and you want to say about the music oh i just um i yeah i was one because we we kind of stopped to have to feature this singer and have uh mm. the scenes and there's that the kind of the restaurant attached to the resort hotel there and there's that sequence where she's dancing um for seems like hours and hours to, oh, to yeah. music because he's gone off and 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 spent hours trying to uh negotiate this situation with oh, the, the mafia yes. members and has yes. kind of abandoned her and she doesn't seem to mind in the least too i mean i no, I she's fine I'm sorry for her but I get the sense if she had never met him, she'd be fine. <laughs> she like we just go, oh, go on. <laughs> I would. And this is one where again the Jack Lemon, again, we, we often think of him as a nice guy and a nice guy in the apartment. Mm -hmm. And but he he is a jerk in this movie. I mean, he he really Very is much he, a jerk. he plays it well, he relishes in it, and especially the, the that opening sequence. And I just think that the sequence on the plane and opening the film with him pulling up and walking right on the plane, that would again never happen anymore. Um, nope. it's, uh, like, uh, makes you long for, uh, for the old days of, uh, of air travel there. But, uh, again, you know, probably a little bit of a, a reading or a little bit of issue on that, but like he, he goes into the bathroom with that man and then everybody, there's the, uh, that, uh, priest or whatever. And then they're all kind of like looking in to see what's going on. And then they come out in the separate clothes and it's like, Oh, I, Oh, I, I, I get it. He feels ridiculous in that golf outfit that he, he was wearing there so but it is still it, it, it is still playing on a weird gay joke as well which i don't actually i think yes. when he does hits on a gay joke i think it's actually more tasteful than a lot of gay jokes that have even come from five years ago um yeah yeah but he's again the humanist in him just can't help himself but it is a really funny joke he's like oh i'm going to italy for a funeral i'm wearing goddamn golf gear i need to yeah convince this guy to change clothes with me well, I think he has this idea that he could just land, grab his father's body, and get onto the next plane back to. That's what the he's US. doing. It, yeah, and, and then he then he realizes he's in Italy. It that doesn't days happen. And days and days and days. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I would recommend it. And I would just kind of—I don't know if I'd warn them about the uh, about the length or not. I mean, maybe I would if it was somebody I knew can't see a movie, kind of beyond an hour and a half or something. But you know, I. I suppose it drags in a few places here, but some sequences are are absolutely absolutely wonderful. And, and Lemon's performance is is terrific, um, and I think Juliet Mills does a quite a good job. I'll be talking about a movie a little bit later on where the uh, selected female lead for the film I think gets completely and totally trampled on by Lemon. Like she could actually keep up with Lemon's energy. And presence on the screen in the way that uh, that uh, this other actor, I, I, I think I know which one you're talking about. I think I know what you're talking about. Um, yeah, I that she's ugh, we'll get into that movie. Um, no, she's she can really hold her own, she's really really good because this is the first movie I'd seen her in. Um, Billy Wilder does have a thing for like daft women, I don't know what it is, and sometimes you get an actor uh who can rise it kind of play the game and kind of rise above it um and then you get though i think she's uh, mills is i think is actually really good i think she can rise above it like yeah. you can tell she's a very intelligent woman who's meant to be playing a woman who's very 
almost like a manic pixie dream girl mm-hmm. in a way. Um, I would recommend this to Billy Wilder fans. This is not a, a movie I'd say start with. No, um, no, no. Yeah. Uh, there's other uh, Billy Wilder movies I would definitely say start with. This is one where you're already in his groove. You already know kind of who he is. And then you can kind of see him try something different and be maybe a little bit more forgiving of, of that. Um, I, yeah, I think I was a little bit more forgiving because the stuff I really loved, which were just set pieces, they weren't even anything to a character development plot or anything like that. They were just tiny moments of mirroring, mirroring movements or just physical comedy or Jack Lemmon being an asshole. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, um, it was sort of those moments. Yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting one. It's kind of a, a slight deviation in his filmography. So virtual reality is practically totally real, but not. I'm gonna like somebody. Where are you going, Gene? This is the third night this week, Gene! Going further. It's playing around. I can smell it on him. And I was born to be free. Can we have a little more butter, please? Coming up. I came home. I told Earl our whole life could change. Earl tells me to go on a diet. I'll find a way to keep. This house is half mine, you know. Is that a joke? Lady, I work 16 hours a day to make ends meet. Yeah. I bake all night and work all day. I said, Ola, if I have one more beer, I'm going to have to take a nap. And she says, I wondered what it would take to get you into bed. Do you think he's attractive? Who? He kissed you, didn't he? I want to know the truth. We're just talking, right? Yes, Marion, we're just talking. How long are you going to do that? Do you know what time it is? To hell with love. To hell. Forget what other people do when it comes to me and you. To hell with love. Can I do something wrong, officer? Take your sunglasses off now. One more question. How many clowns can you fit in this car now? When it comes to you and me, that's the way it's gonna be. If you share my point of view, I'm the woman made for you. When it comes to push a shove, if you're holding out for love. These are strange people, honey. You hell with love. This is the, the beast of the movies that, that we're going to be talking about here. It's a three-hour film um, called Shortcuts from 1993, based on, the, based on the writings of Raymond Carver. Now, I've even read the stories in the, uh, the anthology that it's based on. Me too. Um, Long ago. I, can't, I, yeah. I was thinking this does not look familiar to me, but I have not read Carver in decades, so... Um, I could just be not, I just might not have a memory of what actually happened in the short stories. And it, it, it is interesting because it would be pretty difficult to recognize, you recognize the basic ideas of the stories mm. uh, in this. But what is amazing to me about, uh, about this film is how much he packs into these three hours with all of these inter, 
woven characters in mm-hmm. basically in the suburbs in Los Angeles. And uh, it moves very fast, even though it's a three hour movie. And we just talked about a two and a half hour comedy, which I, I thought shortcuts <laughs> feels shorter than that one. Yet it is, it is a trying to, and I won't be able to, we won't be able to review all of the stories and talk about all the, the great actors. I mean, this was mm. everybody who was amazing in the early nineties uh, appears in this film because Altman had this kind of renegade charm and particularly, you know, it was kind of shortcuts was supposed to come before the player, but the player ended up being the year before and the player brought back his, his career as this uh, auteur director mm. and everybody I think wanted to work with him. He just had that kind of, uh, it, his improvisational quality allowed what actors to do, uh, what they need to do for their characters. I think that it attracted a lot of big name stars, uh, even if they had small roles here. So we'll start off, I guess, uh, going back to this idea of, of finding a double for, for shortcuts. Uh, what did you have? This was difficult because I watched this over three days. Um, we'll get into because I think this the, the editing's amazing because the first hour is actually very slow. Um, mm-hmm. and then it just ramps up, ramps up, ramps up. I'm not entirely sure if the segments get shorter or what, but they it it starts there's a really nice build up. And I was kind of thinking, oh my god, what the hell do you pair with shortcuts? Because even though Altman is doing Altman, this is what he does is is shortcuts. I was like, I have no idea what to pair, but I ended up going for a um, director who I like a lot, um, Hiro Kazu Koreeda, and I'm going for his Afterlife from 1998. What if there is an afterlife? What if before you get to heaven, you go to a special place? place where you choose one memory to take with you forever. What is the one memory you would choose? Would it be love's awakening or a tender farewell? Would it be the promise of youth or the reflection of age? Would it be a moment of beauty or the beauty of silence? Choosing a single memory could mean rediscovering your life. Artistic License Films proudly presents Afterlife. From Koreeda Hirokazu, the internationally acclaimed director of Maboroshi, comes Afterlife. Afterlife will make you stop and think about the moments from your life. the one memory you would take with you i always wanted to see that one yeah. it's really hard to find i went up watching on youtube a couple of years ago and i'm very terrible copy so i need so, so if someone could release a blu-ray ray that i can watch that'd be great um no it is essentially about it's kind of uh very similar well not very similar concept um when you die and you're in limbo kind of not wondering how good of a person or kind of what person you were there's a crew in kind of limbo who recreate what your defining or favorite memory is. They literally make a film about it. And then that, whatever moment you come up, decide on, 
is you, that is your eternity. Oh, it's wow. really, yeah, it's a really nice way. It's about filmmaking. It's funny. It's sweet. And it's all about these kind of moments. And that's kind of what I thought Shortcuts was. It is just about these, Shortcuts is more about the mundane, um, horrific moments of humanity. <laughs> but, um, but uh, yeah, but this, it's a really great movie. I like this uh, director a lot. I mean, made one of my favorite movies the last few years, um, Shoplifters, which it has a various kind of almost, um, I don't want to say Altman because I think he's got his own influences. I don't want to keep comparing um, Asian directors to uh, Western directors, but he does have a slight Altman quality about him where he's just like almost verite. He's just like showing things as they kind of are or yeah and that's definitely what shoplifters is and he can be very a little bit touch more melodramatic i think than altman ever is altman doesn't give a two hoots about melodrama but um yeah that is going to be my um that's gonna be my pick so if you can watch afterlife please it's a it's an amazing movie i'll see if you if you ever have a lead on how to watch this thing because uh i don't know there's some movies that yeah that's one of my big things is i'm afraid movies will disappear if we can't kind of find a a way to retrieve them and through physical media as exactly. well as the streaming services there. So yeah, um, I, I, I guess I focused and ironically, I probably focused on one of the subplots, which was completely made up for this movie. Um, oh, the Laurie yeah. Singer? The Laurie, huh? yeah. yeah. Yeah, that that one. But I think it is relatable to a few other ones there. I, I, mm -hmm. I decided to pair it with Robert Redford's Ordinary People. In this typical town, in this comfortable home, three ordinary people are about to live an extraordinary story. But starting all over again, the lying, the covering up, the disappearing for hours, I will not stand for it. I can't stand it. I really can't. That psychiatrists are here. They all believe in dreams. I do believe in dreams. Only sometimes I want to know what's happening when you're awake. I don't want to see any doctors or counselors. This is my family. Problems, and we will solve those problems in the privacy of our own home. Oh, God! I knew something was wrong even before he tried to uh, kill himself. I think it is a very private matter. You never came to the hospital. Now, how Conrad, do you know about the your hospital? Your mother did come to the hospital, Conrad, and you know that. I just don't know how to deal with it anymore. Why are you asking me? Huh? Why are you trying to make me mad? Why are you mad? No! He provokes people. I would never have let him put electricity in my head. You blame me for the whole thing. Can't you see anything except in terms of how it affects you? I, I miss it sometimes. The hospital. But that was a hospital. This is the real world. Did it hurt? I've never really talked about it. How long are you going to punish yourself? When are you going to quit? You loved him. What in hell has happened? That she hates me. Can't you see that? Mothers don't hate their sons. I mean, there's someone besides your mother you got to forget. You better make sure that your kids are good and safe. And then you come to me and tell me how to be happy. Do you love me? Do you really love me? Just do one wrong thing. And what was the one wrong thing you did? Donald Sutherland, Mary Tyler Moore, John Hirsch, Timothy Hutton, in an extraordinary story of ordinary people. Have this disconnect between um, 
within this this family that seems like very functional functional and you know affluent and and um and maybe they're i'd say they're more affluent than a lot of the characters that we are talking about mm. in shortcuts but just this the son and this mother who do not communicate properly and we see that with the laurie singer story of the the jazz singer and mm. the classic uh celloist and they you know and there's this whole backstory about how she was conceived and all that which is and and i love even, that line but this uh -huh. is about so and so before he got me pregnant in florida like she always adds a geographical location yes, to everything yes. that's where that happened yes <laughs> i love that line so yeah, much it is so yeah, it is so it's so funny but yet there's this tragedy underneath it too because all her stories are tragic. not recognizing or 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 dealing with the mental health of her daughter i mean it, yeah. it's not it's not normal for somebody you first of all you you show up, you're mean to your daughter, then you go ask her to make you a Bloody Mary first thing yeah. in the morning. But then she uh, she goes down, and I get I again I think it's just the brilliance of the writing and everything too. It's it's bloody for sure because she she crushes her hand with the glass in a very very hard to watch scene. It is. And then when she comes downstairs, she smeared the blood on the walls. Mm. Um, that would be a very large warning sign that your daughter needs some help and no, well, that's what i loved about shortcuts no one gives no one no one understands anything outside themselves yeah. um which i adored about shortcuts i mean that is kind of the most extreme example of of that except for maybe um chris penn but no one um is able to think outside what they are needing at that moment. And you can tell the jazz singer who I did have, sorry, there's so many people in this cast, I can't keep straight. But um, she is kind of the special kind of monster in a way. She's fabulous. Every time she like tells a story, it's like someone in, ends up dying in a horrible way and they're always in a specific place. And, but she's just does not comprehend. And her daughter's giving, she doesn't speak. She just plays the cello. She's cutting herself. She's smearing the blood on the wall. All she can do is play the cello. Um, that is how she communicates. And there's, I can't, I didn't get a chance to see what was on that note that she had on her music stand, but it was pretty much, I think, her suicide note. It is, it is absolutely devastating. And I only saw Ordinary People this year. And Mary Tyler Moore is a special kind of monster in that yes. movie. You oh. think you want her to be better than, and she never does. Every time you, oh, she's going to come to an understanding. She's going to learn. Nope. And she refuses to. And that is kind of the magic of her character is that she is a monster in a very cruel way. I mean, that Dudley Sutherland speech at the end he gives to her is heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. It's so, it's so, um, yeah. And it's kind of perfect. Uh, I love the fact that you um, put a, a very much a melodrama with shortcuts because yeah, it, it's mm -hmm. perfect. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, and, and that father character. And if we look at the father characters, in, in a lot of the stories here, they they are kind of useless people. I mean, they are and you do know, not handle their woman's yeah. sexuality at all. I was just watching no. this going, is this about these strong, vibrant sexual women and the men who cannot handle them? <laughs> exactly. Annie, Annie Ross is, is just a jazz Ross, singer. Yes. And, and her her voice, I mean, it's the soundtrack of this film and it's hmm. it's a perfect. I mean, I and Altman uses jazz music and jazz musicians a lot. And he has a lot of music people in his films and, and this one included here. But oh, yeah. 
I, I want to get to Jack Lemon for or first ish uh, here because uh, there's so many different directions we could go with this review. Jack Lemon shows up late in the film. It is it is a a small role considering, but he has yes. several scenes, and uh, essentially uh, his son is Bruce Davidson, who's uh, does editorials on TV, and 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 he's married to Andy McDowell. And they have a tragedy when their uh, their little boy is hit by a car. Lily Tomlin driving, by the way. Wonderful this, Lily Tomlin, who uh, I might argue steals the movie. Uh, but yet... Uh, uh, Tim Robbins yeah. for me, but yeah, we'll get into Jack Lemmon because yeah, that speech he gives in, in the middle. Oh my God, that's perfectly timed. Oh, <laughs> oh, there's so many. Oh, there's so many people. But anyway, <laughs> maybe for the best, Lily Tomlin never knows what happens to this boy that she hit. She mm. thinks she's okay. And she never knows. She keeps what, thinking about it. Yeah, she's yeah. like more That's about how it would have affected her, but she keeps thinking about it. Anyway, Jack Lemon is the estranged father of uh, Bruce Davison, and and shows up to the hospital and um, completely out of nowhere. And yeah, that was the weird thing. He's just, hey, I'm here in a very extravagant white coat. <laughs> yes, and you get the sense that it's less to do with the grandson and more to do with the fact that he has he's back in town and he's discovered that his son is very successful on the news and this is an opportunity to try to get connected to the family mm. um and he delivers uh this great monologue where he tries to justify cheating on his wife many years ago with her sister and, yes. And, and wasn't it when Bruce was in hospital, Bruce's character? Because he was in hospital, in hospital as a kid. Yeah, because yeah, there's a lot of mirroring in this movie um, of certain elements, as you mentioned, with uh, Laurie Singer and her bloodied hand with the Bloody Mary. It, there's yes. always these kind of contrasting things. So, yeah, uh, Bruce Davidson's in the hospital with his son who's been hit by a car. And, and then Jack Lemmon just suddenly shows up and gives this amazing monologue of why he cheated on his wife and why he could not be with um, Bruce in the hospital. And it's an amazing speech. It's when you go, oh, Jack Lemmon, great actor. Okay, yeah. <laughs> and it's just, he, this guy is such a, you can, you can see he's really, like he, he'd be the guy who shows up at a bar and gives people a few laughs and everybody thinks he's a he's a pretty good guy, but he, he is a con artist in, in many ways. Oh, and yeah. it's, you know, and Bruce Davidson's trying to get him off of this story. Just like, it was a long time ago, Dad. It was a long, just stop, stop, You can't stop. smoke. You can't smoke, yeah. Trying to give him an out. Mm. And he's making himself into a bigger jerk than than he was even beforehand. Mm. And then, um, and again, spoilers, because but when things go bad for the son, he's right there and he sees where it's going. And in the most cowardly fashion, there's this look of tragedy on Lemon's face. When he realizes what's about mm. to happen, he can't handle any of this. And like a coward, he backs away out of the hospital and out of the movie forever. Yes. And, um, it, and I, I guess because it's Jack it's Lemon, <laughs> it is. It's just uh, because it's Jack Lemon, I guess I, I, I always kind of watch. It's not my favorite performance in the film, but I just watch that one over and over again. And the more I watch it, the more it grows on me. Like there's a, a lot he does with an extended cameo in this film. 
it's interesting to put this as one of the Jack Lemon shows because this could have been the Tim Robbins show, as you said, or the Lily Tomlin show. Oh, the Lily Tomlin. The She's Julia amazing. Moore show. Who, oh know, my God. Yeah. I, I mean, this movie has everyone who was in a radius in LA in 1993 and Ullman just pulled them all in and it happened to be this cast. I mean, the cast is insane. And we've only touched on a few of them. Um, I reckon the monologue is his monologue of why he slept with the sister is one of the best things in, in the movie. Um, yes. It, for me, Lily Tomlin and um, Tim Robbins have a, just an, a natural thing. Well, Lily Tomlin worked with Altman a lot, so it was probably practice, but those two seemingly have a natural kind of thing of, Oh, I know how to act in an Altman movie. Cause I can, yeah. um, especially Tomlin, she's just naturally very intelligent and very thing. And so she can just throw things and just be who she needs to be in, in the moment very fluidly. And that's probably why Altman kept working with her. And then you get Robbins, who's, I still haven't seen the player and now I need to because him oh. and Shortcuts, he is the, okay, there are a lot of assholes in this movie. So no one's actually likable. So you're not watching a movie. You're not really rooting for anyone. Maybe no. Lily, maybe Lily, um, oh, Lily Thompson. No, Lily. Killer. She's played. Yeah. Maybe yeah. her. Yeah. When she's a daughter of, um, playing the daughter of um, Lily Tomlin. Lily Tomlin. Um, yeah. Um, she's kind of the innocent. She's like, she's amazing. She's like the, the good person. But when you meet um, Tim Robbins, he is also a con man. He's also flagrant with his, um, with his abuses as a police officer. He's like one of those chip guys on the bikes. I mean, mm -hmm. he throws the family dog away and then realizes that, oh, this isn't going to make things better. This is going to make things worse. My kids are now louder. He constantly cheats on his wife. Then he gets sexually, and then he gets obsessed and possessive of his mistress, um, mm -hmm. Frances McDormand, who's got her own things going. Again, no man can handle a high-functioning sexual woman in this movie. I love it. Um, <laughs> it is, and then we're not going to get into, uh, uh, what's his name, Peter Gallagher. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, that's so, a whole separate movie. Everything, yeah. Yeah, everything goes on to on, on, and on, and you're just like, now I'm in like five storylines away, and I'm suddenly – back with Chris Penn again um but no it, it is he is such an arsehole and at the end of the movie when there's an earthquake and he is out there in his underwear yelling into a megaphone I thought was the greatest thing ever <laughs> and be, because I've watched this movie a lot yeah. um uh and I, this was the first time for you I think so yeah it was uh, I it's, it's different things that I pick up every time the key to Tim Robbins character is the fact that he quit smoking. Oh my God. I didn't realize he quit smoking. So when, yes. and when you see him, he, he finally smokes a cigarette. That's when yeah. he comes back to being the family man and calming down and being a better husband to Madeline. Stowe. and Madeline Stowe knows all of this about him. Oh, she is, does not. And she's she waiting for like, him to come back. Just, Cause he knows yeah. wherever it is, we'll, we'll get sick of him. The other thing that's interesting about that relationship with Francis McDormand the second he gives that awful birthday present to her, she's moved she's, on to the next guy. She really has. And then dragging her son along, who's getting confused about who all these different men. Oh are. yeah, like who's this today? Um, no, I didn't notice that actually because I knew they give. I went, wait, doesn't she hate her husband's clock, like Peter Gallia's clock? Why is he? Why is um, Robin giving her a clock? Oh, okay, she's she's done. She's moving on. No, um, this movie is just filled with these little amazing performances and even actors who I am not the biggest fan of, say like Andy McDowell. I think is actually really good in Shortcuts. Performances, yes. Yeah, especially when she's this kind of oh, I've 
typical kind of, you know, worrying about the pool. You can tell she's a little bit anxious. And then she, the fact that she just let her son sleep after he being told he was hit when she and her son said, I was hit by a car. Oh no, he's fine. She, he, you know, he's asleep. And, and then Bruce is like, don't let him sleep. <laughs> and then you go, Oh no, don't, what are you doing? She doesn't, and it's not her fault. She just doesn't. Oh, he's fine. Like, it's she, it's a really great performance, and when she's dealing with love it, I think uh, the baker uh, who's a well, country her. singer, yeah, I love it, and goes, you were being harassing me because I wouldn't pick up a goddamn cake. My son is dead. Like that's what I've been doing, and the look on his face is again. This just leads on to every. That's what it took me a little bit to get comfortable with it, as it does most Altman movies because they are so loose and so baggy, and mm-hmm. you don't really know. Like in Nashville, it took me half the movie to figure out, oh, I'm not meant to be following anyone. Like I'm just meant to be, let it wash over me and just let it kind of, yeah, wash over me. I'm not, there's no main character. This is an ultimate movie. You, Lindsay, you should know better. And then I could just kind of enjoy it and then just find the characters I personally liked over others. But it's got such amazing actors in it that you're just like, yeah. everyone's kind of great. <laughs> and again, sort of spoilers for the end of this episode. And this has been over time. Altman is one of my favorite mm. filmmakers ever. And I, I've, I've gone over this over the years several times, but I've come to the terms that uh, my two favorite Altman films are Nashville and Shortcuts. And two very, Shortcuts, very good movies. It wasn't originally the first time I saw it. it. It took a while for me to get to that point with Shortcuts. But it's just amazing. And, and because there's so much to it, I get, and there's things where in our conversation I'm connecting dots to, and I've, I, I watched the movie in, I don't know, 93 or 94. It's probably, probably 94 on, uh, I was too young to see it in theaters. So mm. um, on, on VHS or something, but there, there is just uh, so much to it. I, I keep kind of going back to just to do some other, like Madeline Stowe has some of the best lines. She very really does. And how she, how she kind of, plays along but teases Robbins in this passive aggressive way is 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 great but she's got to the point where she knows everything he says is bullshit she still loves him but it is he's trying like you know oh you what's this phone number in your pocket who's clear oh no that was a sting operation you've now put yourself and the kids in danger and all she can do is just laugh because she yeah. fully knows that um this is I am not falling for this anymore. This is completely ridiculous. What are you doing? You're you're a you ride on a motorcycle. What are you doing? Um, Talking about I, this this yeah. thing operation to get crack dealers, and yeah. then he says as he's going out the door, "Whose crack are you talking about?" <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yes. whether she improvised that or if that was a line that Altman, I don't know, but it's it's it's. I, it's you don't know which is improvised and which isn't. Even the Jack Lemon monologue, he gives it so naturally. I'm thinking, wait, was this written or was did you and uh, Altman and I think another person helped write it is credited as writing it as well. I think did you all come with that up on as well? What is the? I mean, it feels very Mike Lee in a way where you kind of workshop a little bit and then you shoot the movie. This feels so so like that. So I'm watching it go. Okay, so what's written, what's not? I can sort of see like. Jennifer Jason Lee, um, Julian Moore, um, Jack, probably Jack Lemon, but he, I don't know, because he did, because he was known for improving in in his mm-hmm. movies. Um, all these sort of actors who you know are, would be great at improv going in and they can just go loose. They can, Tim Robbins probably as well, because I think half of his lines are improv. Yeah. 
And then you go act as like Madeline Stowe. And I'm like, oh my God, you're amazing. I think you might be improving a little bit in this. I didn't think that you were that kind of actor. And she's not, apparently she was offered um, Julian Moore's role, which would make sense because it's um, Madeline Stowe. Um, and she turned it down and then went for the housewife character. And that's not something she usually played. She's was the most beautiful woman on the planet. It's probably still is as uh, still is actually, but it is, um, it's not a role you were thinking when she goes, yeah, I pose nude. And then Tim Robbins goes, what? No underpants nude. <laughs> <laughs> like that. Yeah. yeah. Just like how nude are we talking here? No, it's, she's so natural in it and I love her laugh. It's so expressive. And yeah, this kind of showed me new sides to certain actors who I didn't think like Bruce Barefoot, I didn't think would be as good as he was in this because I have a certain idea of who I think he is yeah. and you watch shortcuts and you're like oh no you are you can yeah you can you know exactly how to do this look him up oh of course he had theater experience duh Lindsay you need to yeah. realize yeah. that yeah <laughs> no they, I mean they're they all good I, I guess um you mentioned Jennifer Jason Lee and she plays yeah. a sex operator who's who is married to Chris Penn who is very sexually repressed which leads yes. to tragic very tragic yeah. And I guess this is my, well, I'll get to that in a second. My biggest problem with the movie still to this day, and I can't get over it, is about something that happens at the end and how the end kind of, how the film sort of stops. I, I get why it stops with this earthquake that happens, but. Yeah. Are you saying how, how what Chris Penn was covered up by the earthquake or. I, there was only one person who died. So. Uh, yeah. And it was, uh, it was a woman. So who, uh, spoilers, I mean, that he essentially murders. Because oh, he does. He, he murders and then, trying, yeah. to, <laughs> trying to rape her, essentially. Uh, Jennifer Jason Lee is this sex phone operator, and, like, the the kids are around, and, and he's coming in and out of the house and hearing this very graphic conversations. Jennifer yeah. Jason Lee worked as a sex phone operator, did the research for it, and she took exact conversations from those encounters for those scenes in, 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 in the film. So there's a little bit of a mix of improvisation, but also kind of the research and, and the writing in there. Julianne Moore, I don't know if she improvised that that monologue again about her, her husband played by Matthew Modine is uh, this very well-respected doctor, even though he's really, his head is not in it at all. And you see that- No, he, he could really not care less about part. what he's doing. <laughs> no, but he's, he's so, he, he's so, uh, jealous of his wife and so focused on this uh, the, this event or this thing where where she might have cheated on him years ago and then Julian Moore tells without pants on um, and that was it's a great a, scene and that was a plan that was they they told Julian Moore you're going to be doing yeah. this monologue with no pants like and at all willing to do it yeah. Madeline still yeah. wasn't and that was no. why she moved into the other role um, Which I understand. I mean, it's very, yeah. it's, it's, it feels way more vulnerable than the top half for some reason. Yeah. Uh, especially at that time. I mean, now it's, yeah. full frontal seems to be in like everything. And I, I don't know, but just, she may have improvised great sections of that monologue. I, I don't know, but Altman hmm. had the script. I mean, those writers who worked with him where he wasn't kind of connected to the screenplay hmm. were sometimes frustrated with him because a lot of what they would put on the page would never actually happen or would be drowned out by that overlapping dialogue thing that yeah. he does. But it feels so real. It feels like these people got together and just improvised a movie, which 
it's so in control and it could never be completely improvised, but it is, it is so brilliant. That's kind of Altman's thing. I mean, yeah, I still, I'm still trying to grapple with Altman because there are a few movies I've seen of his that I just can't connect to something like mash, which is very much the overlapping dialogue. It's everyone trying to be as cool as hell. And I'm just like, you're all very hairy. What are you doing? Elliot Gould. Um, but again, I grew up with the show, so I'm just like, what is this? Um, but then you watch Nashville, and the first time I watched Nashville, I didn't like it because I was like, I don't get it. I don't know who I'm meant to be. Not that I have to root for in a movie, but there's usually a person that you are following, and they are usually the central character. Robert Altman doesn't generally like central characters in his movies. Even ones that have central characters, they are just kind of, you're just following through like long, um, the long goodbye. It's yeah. Elliot Gould's story. But at the same time, it's the story of L.A. Like, that's what he does. Um, and so the first time I saw Nashville, I'm like, okay, so am I meant to be following Lily Tomlin? What's going on? And then the second time I watched it, I was like, oh, okay, it's just the movie. You're just watching this broad canvas, all these people are mulling around, and you're just picking up these little individual threads, and that is shortcuts. I mean, there are overarching themes, um that my overarching theme is something i've obviously read into i mean you do even have a case of three guys going fishing which happened to be buck henry huey lewis in the news or huey lewis and uh fred ward who stumble across a dead body in a creek in a river and decide that they'd rather fish than have to deal with the dead body so they just tie Mm. her up and then go report it after their their weekend which seems so cruel like even, yeah. I mean, when you see Anne Archer's reaction when she finds out, I'm like, yeah, I would be horrified. Um, this is a time before mobile phones. I mean, there's a mm-hmm. section, well, actually the funniest jokes of the movie is really dark. Um, Lily, uh, uh, the other Lily, uh, is picking up some photos, her boyfriend, um, Iron Man, uh, Robert Downey yes, Jr. Robert Jr. Yeah. He's also in this movie. He's, uh, in some movies. he's done a a few Altman movies and he's another guy who kind of gets, he gets it. Like he knows how to, he's very loose. He can improv. He doesn't have to, like you can tell he's, he's good at moving around. Yeah. Um, he's the, the Lily Taylor's um, boyfriend who's a, training to be a makeup artist. So she's picking up these back in the day, kids, you couldn't just take a photo on your phone. You had to get someone to develop your photo. So they would yeah. see what you were developing. So if you're doing um, uh, anything weird or disgusting or naked, someone else is going to have to see them. So she's developing these photos of her lying on the bed in full dead makeup, like like a murder victim. And Buck Henry has got all these photos he took of the friggin' murder victim. And they accidentally take the wrong photos and they're looking at them and looking at each other. And it's just, you're just looking at this going, oh, yeah, that would have happened a lot. <laughs> it, and it's so funny. Like the it's so funny. And they're both trying to get license plate numbers to report to the police. About yes. Each person, it is, uh, yeah, like there's there's a lot of darkness and not, very likable characters but they're more like but they're so real as a result of that yeah Yet there's this absurdity and this humor connected to some of the serious stuff that's also going on uh in there and i, I just for me it's a masterpiece of a film and i'm glad jack lemon was involved jack lemon is one of the many people that has a cameo in the player uh the year before and um uh, and new altman a, a bit there too and so I think when you, I'll, I'll be interested to hear your opinion of the player someday because Tim Robbins plays a similar kind of jerk, but way, way, way more put together than the character okay. in, in Shortcuts there. And uh, he was very close to getting his first Oscar nomination for that um, in, 
yeah, for, for the player. And I think, yeah, as it happened, I think he shot his part of shortcuts before he shot the player. So there was a bit of a strange overlap between those. And Oh, and interesting. Cause, yeah, because yeah, I thought he did the player and then everyone, oh, we like Altman again. And then, yeah. so he got to make shortcuts. Um, yeah. But that would be, that sounds about right, how, how Hollywood works. But I do know, because I love how, how Altman's, like every time he has a hit, everyone's like, what, is it like to, what was it like to be back? He's like, this is how I make movies. It's just you guys who keep going in and out of the room. <laughs> yeah, I just was keep I making... gone? He kept saying, why yeah. was I gone? Yeah. 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 Anyway, I wasn't I, gone. I, would, I was here. <laughs> I would encourage people to, and, and if you need to watch it in parts, I think you, you, can, you, can. you can do that. And just, I, I really like shortcuts. It's, it's going to get a lot of points for me, but I, I can understand it on a, first viewing why uh, some people might need some time to process it as I did when, when I was probably too young to fully grasp all of the themes that were going on. And each time as I grow older and older, I uh, get more and more out of it. No, the first hour, I think it's good as three hours because the first hour you're just kind of going, okay. Mm, yeah. See, it's Altman. Yep. So what you're doing. And then by the end, and I think that switch is definitely the Jack Lemmon monologue when you watch it and you're like, Oh, okay. Because he does let he does it with Julian Moore as well, but he will let characters just toward like the second half and back just have these much longer monologues of telling you who they are, and um, that's when you're like, oh, okay. Now I am sort of settling into this. It, it takes a while. Like the first hour is literally just going around, going around, and then you can sit down and have these monologues with these people, and that's when it kind of gets incredible. There are two kinds of people in this world. Those who will do anything for money. And those who will do almost anything for money. Harry Hinkle, the cameraman who was hurt at the game today? Yes. Well, this may be of some interest to you. I'm suing CBS at Cleveland Browns and a municipal stadium for $1 million. Here, look at this. There's a compression of the fifth vertebra on the narrow disc. Are you sure? Why do you think I'm wearing this outfit? Because I'm a barber? And what is your learned opinion, Professor Winthopper? Shake. Beat it. Bothering you, honey. Real You yes, me, we're just wasting our time. I think this guy's legit. Maybe so, but let's give it a chance. We've been watching for three days and three nights. Listen, I once shadowed a guy who was suing a yellow cab company. He had the Swedish masseuse come every so often, give him a rub down. Then one night, bingo. There he was, giving her a rub down. The incomparable team of Billy Wilder and Jack Lemmon, who told you about love in a walk-up in the apartment, love on the streets in Irma La Douce, Love for your fellow man in Some Like It Hot. 
now tell you about love of money. How many me do you see? One. One cheap, chiseling, shyster lawyer who, of all people, had to marry my sister. Nice talk. I'm handing you a quarter of a million dollars on a silver platter. Amazingly enough, it, this is the one that's the newest to me. I, I hadn't been able to get a copy of or, or see the fortune cookie, even though it's from 1966, until fairly recently. And so mm. it was a, this is my first time watch for this show. And I, I kind of knew that it was a critically acclaimed comedy from Billy Wilder. And this was actually the first time, I had to double check that, first time that Jack Lemmon and Walter Matthau were paired together. I think they had maybe 11 or 12 collaborations together. Um, mm -hmm. This is the first one. And Matthau did indeed win Best Supporting Actor for uh, The Fortune Cookie. Walter Matthau, uh, he, he plays a crooked lawyer who's uh, the brother-in-law of Jack Lemmon, who is a camera operator at an NFL game. And uh, during a play that kind of goes wrong, and uh, an NFL player uh, lays him out, and he has to go to hospital. And Matthau see this, sees this as an opportunity to sue for, for millions, to sue the NFL, to sue uh, NBC. And um, really, Lemon is not that injured, and um, but he has to pretend like he is to keep this con alive. And then the football player who is responsible for this injury is just a saint of a human being who feels so bad oh, about this. I he love almost, Boom Boom. <laughs> he puts his NFL reputation career on the line to try to help lemon out as much as he can and try to get him moved in and help him reconcile with his ex-wife who comes in who is again seeing dollar signs and that why she, that's why she's coming back into the picture so it's it's interesting like maybe uh because i had read all of this great stuff about it i walked into this movie with high expectations and i more in the this is okay it made me smile in a few places. I don't think I laughed as much as I would have expected. I mean, it, uh, it's, I, you know, I, I think it's good and maybe I need some time with it before and to revisit it before I'd ever say it was great. And I, I was a little bit surprised that Mathel won an Oscar for this. But then the other thing I read about is in the middle of filming this, he had a heart attack. He did. He lost a lot of weight. Like there's scenes yeah. when he walks into a room and you're like, whoa. Yeah, and he wear these uh, uh, big coats, trench coats for the rest of the yeah, film. Yeah, they're trying to bulk him up, but you can tell he's lost weight. Yeah. 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 And it's it's because he had this, this this major heart attack in the middle of it. I don't know. Just the way the Hollywood system works, maybe they're like, oh, wow, we almost lost this guy and he was able to complete the role and we need to reward him for it. That is exactly how the Oscars work. <laughs> I, I think... Yeah, even back in the 60s, that, that's likely. The film got a lot of nominations, but I guess I'm not quite there yet. But I do like that that Ron Rich playing Boom Boom Jackson. He was a direct, uh, like a, a terrific character, and they gave, give him three dimensions. I'm not sure every character in this movie is given three dimensions, including in some ways Mathau's character is... Oh, Math Mathau's Bugs Bunny. That's yeah, a... Yes. Yeah. And, and so I guess I'm supposed to sort of take this as a cartoon. Maybe. Yes. Um, and no, I think if I, I do that, then I would have had a better time. But I was trying um, to look for something more here. Maybe that was the problem. I don't think this is high tier Wilder. I generally pretty much like the movie, um, but I wouldn't say this is the second time I've seen it. I wouldn't say this is um, up there with 
kind of his great kind of ones. This is kind of more of a Kiss Me Kate kind of sitting one. It's kind of his mid-tier kind of ones. Um, There was a light to like in it. I think he's really good. Um, I think Matthew was really fun because he is Bugs Bunny and I had a lot of fun from the get-go. I mean, when he finds out that... um, uh, Jack Lemon's um, oh, got his first um, has already had a spinal injury. The way his forehead just goes huh, up is like, huh? It's like he's already as soon as he's in that hospital, he's already planning who. Okay, who can I sue? How much for this is this is going to be an opportunity here? I, um, he needs to be um, so he, and um, but I think the screaming mother gets a bit too much. Oh, that's, like that's Billy Wilder. Yeah, it's, that, that yeah. She work. was obviously told. She obviously told to scream at everything, and she did. Um, I think, but I love um, Boom Boom Jackson. I think you're right. He's given a three dimensional character at a time when people of color were not given yeah. that. I mean, yeah. and this has actually got quite a lot of um, people of color in this movie, and they're all bartenders, cleaners, everything mm-hmm. like that. And the fact, um, which was happened a lot. Like this is not every time you watch a movie and you see a person of color they are usually like the person cleaning, um, which sort of is very indicative of what kind of roles that they got. And he was given this, and he's a sweetie. He's such a sweetie. He's smart. Oh, he's intelligent. He wants to help. Um, and the movie is really about Jack Lemons and um, Ron Rich's relationship um, with each other. And that's kind of how the movie ends. He's he's the good person. And it's um, Jack, it's up to um, uh, Henry, Henry Henkel. Harry Hinkle. Yeah, Harry yeah, Henkel to realize, really- yeah, am I going to go for to be good and be like Jackson? And he is so sad at the end and the way, and it's up to Harry to sort of go, no, 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 you are a football player. Like, that is your job. Just because you think you hurt. I was lying about that. And, um, I mean, even the line of like, oh, why'd you do it? Well, it was the money, obviously. Because why did you stop doing it? And he goes, oh, I didn't like the company, myself included. It's... Yeah, it's it's definitely got that um, that heart, that humanist element in it. But because everyone is like a screaming character actor, and this is Walter Matthau as well, though I find him very entertaining, there is a moment where he even hums the thing to the Barber of Seville. And in 1966, that had to be a Bugs Bunny reference. Yeah. I mean, I don't, yeah. So it is kind of incredible that Matthau, okay, I'm Bugs Bunny. I'm Bugs Bunny in this movie, and... He does it really well. He is a really great comic foil. Um, but I think there is an unevenness between the sweet and the, and the funny, which Billy Wilder and other movies is able to blend a whole lot more, to, well, better together. I, I guess I'm, I mean, in some scenes, Lemon, like I have trouble criticizing Lemon with any performance. Like I can sometimes criticize right. this <laughs> Yeah, I, I I thought some some things just didn't work. Some scenes didn't work when he's in that motorized wheelchair and he's going around and there's like the like the stretching out. This is something which I just didn't find particularly funny. And I, mm. I just thought Lemon was really trying hard to make something, or Wilder was directing him to make something out when there was nothing there. And so it's I kind of, yeah, it's kind I, of hard when he's such a great physical actor and you've got him bound in a wheelchair. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But I, I guess if, if you told me that, as, as amazing as it would have been at the time there, but this mm. was a few years after Poitier had won Best Actor for Lilies in the Field, but mm. that Ron Rich had gotten the Best Supporting Actor nomination for this movie, I, I would have believed it. Because to me, he's the best character 
and I would say the gives the best performance in the film. Lemon is very good, but it's probably in the bottom end for me of his performances. Um, I don't know if it's in the bottom end of the films we're talking about, but yeah. it's the bottom end of his performances in the six that we're talking about. So I, I, I don't know if you disagree or not, but I, I do think we had hints of the Lemon Mathau chemistry, and that was good. But some bits when they're kind of left on their own, almost Mathau appeared a little bit more comfortable in the role he, he was in than Lemon, I think, was for most of the, the last scenes, definitely all Jack Lemon. Uh, some of the early scenes and the scenes in the hospital, but kind of in the middle part of the film, it just uh, wasn't wasn't clicking for me as much with, uh, with him. Yeah, they didn't give him as much to do in this movie, which is weird because he's Billy Wilder's guy. Because, um, mm-hmm. yeah, Methow is just completely comfortable. He owns, he effectively owns this movie. Like every time he's in a scene, you're looking at Methow, you're not looking at Lemon. But Lemon's kind of strengths are when he gets to play neurotic, or hopeless and he can do a little bit in this movie or when he's kind of being genuine like he is at the last moments of of the movie when he's talking to um jackson um but when he's kind of stuck in the chair he can't do anything and he's such a physical actor being even go back to shortcuts when he's delivering that monologue he's all hands like he's all kind of animated in movement and trying to get his son to understand something about something that has no relevance relevance in this in his life and he's still trying to do it and he's very very animated he can't be that animated he's kind of restricted and i think that hurts his performance and considering he's the guy in the wheelchair and you get Matthew getting to have all the scene chewing scene i think it's difficult i love the fact that they already knew each other from the get-go as soon as they're in the hotel room they are in their routine and it's great and you go oh these guys have abs- absolute chemistry which yeah. would then be just be built on and built on and built on. And in roles where you get, you just let Jack Lemon just kind of loose a little bit more, but no, I think it's the chair. I think if he wasn't restricted to the chair so much, I think he doesn't have anywhere to go. And that's not how he acts. If yeah. that makes sense. When he's able to move, that's when I think you can see him really, yeah. uh, really go. Yeah. Well, he's not faking the injury and all that. Yeah. And I think the way that, you know, they get caught is very convoluted and. Oh yeah. Basically- I'm, I'm not, I'm, I guess I'm, I'm not supposed to, I should be putting my brain on hold, I guess, with this one. And maybe next time I watch it and I'm not yeah. analyzing it for a podcast, maybe, maybe I'll have a better time with it. I don't know. But. No, you might do. I mean, I think it's, I still think it's very funny, but I do agree with everything you're saying. It's kind of like Avanti in that way. Everything's, it's a fast, everything's kind of piled up on each other. I will say that because it's shorter, you do get the good moments closer to each other. Unlike Avanti, which they seem very spread out um but no billy wilder loved kept trying to do farces and was never particularly always successful at them except for maybe moments in the apartment or in the another movie we're going to talk about where he nails it but um he loved to put things on top of each other and they didn't always stay structured yeah. he, he was not perfect all the time let's just say that yeah. but no i generally have a bit of time with this movie because i will just watch water meth i'll be a bugs bunny for another hour but that's just me <laughs> yeah yeah, I think so. And it was nice to have a, a Lemon Mathau movie in this mix and the fact yes. that it was the, the first one. And obviously yeah. their, their chemistry got better and better and better. Um, as The as Odd the Couple year. and, oh, my God, The Odd Couple. It, they're just fantastic together. You can just – they've yeah. got a shorthand, yeah. Yeah, no, they, they just knew each other so well. And mm. even into the grumpy – and the variations in the grumpy old man movies that they mm. did towards the, uh, the end of their careers. So, yeah, so I'm, I'm glad that that happened. Uh, I'm glad I saw the movie, and I guess I'm, I'm hoping as time goes on that I'm 
maybe going to soften on this one a little bit, but it's it's a little bit in the middle of the pack for me for this uh, this episode. Oh, what did you pair with it? Okay, I'm 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 actually going to uh, this is a very it's a very weird one, uh, I guess, but I think you'll you'll get what I'm talking about here. Uh, I'm I'm going to go uh, with Sydney Lumet's The Verdict. <laughs> His name is Frank Galvin. Four cases in the last three years. He's lost them all. He drinks. This man's scared to death to go to court. Frankie, listen to me because I'm done with you. I got you a good case. It's a moneymaker. The Archdiocese called up because the case is coming to trial. This is our chance to get away. I'm going to see that you get that chance. Court exists to give him a chance at justice. And is that what you're going to do? Maybe I can do something right. It's a generous offer, Mr. Galvin. I just heard someone offer you 200 grand. When I walk out that door, the offer is withdrawn. What are you, nuts? I can win it. I can win this case. But what are you going to do? I need your help. To do what? They killed her. Trying to buy it. I said to you, know what you did? No, did. Take it easy. Okay. And I got to find out from the other side that they offered $200,000. I can subpoena you, you know. Well, maybe you just better do that then. I had a witness disappear, Henry. Your Honor. You should have taken their offer. I have no sympathy for you. We're going to lose. Listen, the damn case doesn't start before tomorrow, and already it's over for you. It is over. I can't invest in failure, Frank, anymore. Pushing the court five days early. I lose my star witness, and I can't get a continuance, and I don't care. I'm going up there, I'm going to try it, I'm going to let the jury decide. All rise! Hear ye, hear ye, hear ye, all persons having anything to do before the Honorable, the Justices of the Superior Court, now sitting in Boston, within and for the County of Suffolk. Draw near, give your attendance, and you shall be heard. Yes. So we have a true double there. So yeah. in the verdict, again, you kind of see what we're trying to do here with movies that are, you know, a, a ser- serious one, a very serious one with a, a funny one here. But the idea of like this sleazy ambulance chaser uh, who is forced to face the truth. I, I think by the end of the verdict, Paul Newman's character has learned uh, some lessons that uh, Walter Matthau's character, I don't think, has learned. This no. piece of talks at the end, he has not progressed at all. He he's the same person at the beginning of the film to the end of the film. Mm. But it's it's interesting when uh, whether they like it or not, they're going to have to face up to the truth about uh, about uh, who they are and, and that. Well, book. yeah, and also the verdict. Paul Newman's character finds something he can care about that because yes. he's a drunk, he's an ambulance chaser, he's not a very good lawyer. Then he finds he actually has a case that has. Merit, not the fact that he's just going to be able to get money from this uh, medical mob. I can't remember the exact cases. I need to watch it again. But um, it is very much um, he realizes that he can actually do some good in this world. It's not just how can I shake people down for money. It's not just kind of the day-to-day business of it. Oh, no, this is a case that actually means something. Something is actually, someone is actually hurt. Someone has actually done wrong. And yeah. someone now needs to be held accountable. Yeah. And now I'm tasked with this and can I step up to the plate with that as well as learning through the arts and everything like that and the verdict just has like one of the greatest dad casts you'll ever see in a movie I mean yes. James Mason Jack Warner 
um, Paul Newman. I mean, it's every actor your dad loves, who I also love, but I just look at the cast and go, man, that's a dad cast. They were amazing and, and penned by David Mamet. Um, uh, yeah, well, Mamet yeah. as well, yeah. yeah. Fairly fairly early in his, his career there. Yeah. Uh, and I guess, I guess the other thing I would, I would look at is the, the risks that they, both of those lawyers take. Yes. To win their cases. It's interesting, though, that Newman starts off with the, I'm going to settle. I'm always going to settle. Mm. And he realizes he needs to fight and be aggressive. And everybody thinks he's going to lose. Mm. And Matthew was just aggressive from the beginning. He just kind of. Well, he, uh, he wants he wants to settle, but he wants as much money as he possibly yeah. can out of this. Like, I love yeah. the scene where you find out he's already sending the mother-in-law down to Florida, which, yes, thank you. Um, he's already bought his wife a coat and he's bought um, uh, Jack Lemmon a, a Mercedes, which he is now driving. So he's like. Who needs to wait for the money? I'm going to get this money. Like he's so sure of himself that he can squeeze the NFL and CBS out of all this money. He's not even thinking that um, uh, Jack Lemon's going to ruin it all by doing somersaults on the bed. <laughs> and it would be interesting to sort of see where he is after all of this has happened in the climax of the film. There. So, yeah, so that would be a, that would be a good double if uh, we had to just the triples that we're, we're uh, putting forward as well too. But, yeah. Uh, That'd be very no, I, I think I think this would be a fun double because they contrast each other nicely, but they have enough threads to pull each other together. So start with the verdict first and then get the comic relief of Fortune Cookie, though. Yeah. This important announcement from Jack Lemon could possibly affect the lives of every man and woman in this theater. Too long has the American man allowed himself to be bullied, coddled, and mothered and tyrannized and in general meant to feel like a feeble-minded idiot by the female of the species. The gentlemen in the audience may applaud if they wish. Ladies, feel free to hiss. It's the story of a man who had it made. He was a bachelor, of course, with a townhouse and a manservant, drinking pals, a club to go to, and wild adventures. Then suddenly, out of nowhere, disaster. No more manservant. Charles! Sorry, sir, but I do not work for married couples. No more drinking, pals. No more... Well, hardly anymore. The more cluttered the kitchen got, the more nervous I got. The more nervous I got, the higher my blood pressure went. The higher my blood pressure went, the more upset I got. The more upset I got, the more impossible she got. Goodbye, money. And we're going to buy her everything from lingerie to a mink coat. Goodbye, waistline. Hey, putting on a little weight there, eh, stand boy? <laughs> Goodbye, privacy. Goodbye, everything. Well, almost everything. Charles, mm. mm. she's in love, so she's never going to agree to a divorce. So we're left with only one choice. Murder. 
his marriage from the very beginning and made every effort to worm his way out of it. Claire Trevor thinks I did it. It's only fair to warn you that it does not uh, look good. Eddie Mayhoff thinks I did it. But of course, you're absolutely right. Oh, what a silly, silly ninny I was not to have seen through him before. Of course he did it. And Terry Thomas thinks I did it. Now tell me, do you think I could ever possibly murder beautiful, luscious, sensual, desirable, gorgeous Vienna Lisi? Hmm? Women, warning, see this picture before he does. The wife you save may be you. This theater will present this motion picture as a public service. The very progressive feminist 1960s film that we're going to talk about, 1965's How to Murder Your Wife. Mm. And it's about Jack Lemmon, who uh, is a uh, cartoonist for the uh, for newspaper. And he goes about acting out all of his cartoons, as we see in the rather ridiculous opening of this film. And he's proud of the fact that he is a lifelong bachelor, as is his his butler, played Terry by Thomas. Terry Thomas, who I might argue steals the film, I guess. And then one uh, at one drunken bat, uh, bachelor party, he sees the girl coming out of the cake, and the next morning he realizes that he had married her. Yes. Um, which makes no sense that he would then be tied into this marriage, but whatever. Uh, I'm not supposed to question the law. She's Catholic. Oh. She's Catholic, Jason. That is why she is Catholic. That is yes. the whole, so we, I don't know. So they yeah. Couldn't get the, the annulment. Uh, got, no, no, no annulment, no divorce. Like, that is it. She's she's uh, staying. She's legally, yeah. <laughs> he wasn't in his right state of mind when he. No. When he went through the ceremony, as I understand it, if you are not, then it's not a legally bound. No, marriage. but his 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 lawyer friend wants to keep him in the marriage for some reason, which I've, yeah. I didn't, didn't quite understand. He was quite yeah. yeah I'm just like he, he wants why? to be miserable because the idea is if you are a married man, then it's miserable, and anybody who bucks the system, uh, you need to bring that person down because he can do whatever he wants. He can sleep in, go to the. Uh, that uh, that health club where they've never had a woman in there. Or whatever. No, life um, is glorious. Yeah, yeah, it's it's yeah. And then his uh, he's married. Uh, Verna Lisi is the actor. Lisi. Verna Lisi, yeah. He is how you pronounce it. Yeah, um, is is who uh, who he marries, and she actually is a bit of a like sweet person. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, and 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 but she immediately moves in and tries to clean up his life and probably makes it better. And then he starts concocting this idea of a way to, because everything that is happening is going into uh, these cartoons mm. and people are actually loving it, but he's getting sick of this and he wants to murder 
his wife, whether he wants to literally murder this woman or he wants to murder the fictional character mm. for these cartoons. And then he, he goes about at a party uh, drugging her and also drugging another woman so that they won't remember what happened. And then he goes about how he would kill her. And then there's this dummy that is thrown off that's supposed to look like her. And this leads to him being arrested because she finds out about this and, and she goes away and we don't know where she is. And then we have the most ridiculous court scene. I've And I've seen some ridiculous ones in my life that I've ever seen. Oh. In my life. The defense attorney's wife comes up as a witness and the judge is, is just as sexist. Now, I, I don't I don't know what Doesn't they're Jack Lemmon actually give a speech of, come on, you know you want to murder your wife. That is, isn't that how he gets away with it? Yes. <laughs> the, 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 yeah, yeah. He, he makes this, he starts to, he fires his friend who's the lawyer and mm. does his own defense and then, yeah, gives this ridiculous speech. So anyway, uh, before we get into, um, you probably have an idea of how I'm, I feel about this one. I don't know. Oh, I, I think I'm right with you. Yeah. Okay. All right. So this will be, that, that part will be easy. Uh, the question is what to pair it with. I, I went first last time. So uh, you start. What, what movie did you have? Uh, mine's not a movie. Mine is actually a, well, it's a British comedy. So it's nearly an hour long. But I'm going to go for the first episode of uh, the Jeeves and Worcester show from 1990 in court after a boat race, which is based on the novels of um, P.G. Woodhouse. I was sent by the agency, sir. I was given to understand that you required a valet. Very good, sir. I say! Thank you, sir. My name is Jeeves. I want you to meet my nephew, Bertie Worcester. What ho, what ho, what ho! Jeeves, I have to make one thing crystal clear. Yes, sir? I am not one of those fellows who become absolute slaves to their valets. No, sir. Well, as long as we understand each other. Perfectly, sir. About a, again, another confirmed bachelor, Bertie Worcester, with his uh, his uh, very smart and always getting him out of trouble um, Butler Jeeves, uh, played by Stephen Fry and uh, Hugh Laurie, and uh, this is yeah, it's just a, a, a man of a man uh, with his butler, which is essentially what how to murder your wife is, or how, or how to what to do with you, what happens when you have a mis misogynistic butler. Um, it is yeah, it's delightful. I'm a huge PJ Woodhouse fan. Um, I love Jeeves and, Jeeves and Worcester. Um, this is a this is also a world where all the women are out of your league, or they're your aunt. It is. Very funny. It is very tongue in cheek. Um, I love watching Stephen Fry and Hugh Laurie on screen together. Um, I grew up with those two, so that is just how it is. And so, yeah, I'm doing the first episode, which is about 60 minutes, 40, 40 to 60 minutes long. So it's just a nice little taster um, before you get into what this movie is. <laughs> and I would very much like to see that. I haven't seen it, and I'm just wondering where I can find it. But uh... I'm not entirely sure either. Um, yeah. This is from my memory. I don't know where you can at the moment, which is sad because they were just quite adorable little shows. And yeah, anything Woodhouse is always always great. I wonder if that that streaming service. I don't know a whole lot about BritBox. I wonder if they would have. It probably would actually, yeah, because it had everything BBC, and I'm pretty sure this was BBC. Well, great great choice. I don't have a lot of kind of that I can contribute because I haven't seen it. But I went in a darker direction. I actually went with Neil Labute's in the company of men. 
Hey, Howard. What's the difference between a golf ball and a G-spot? I don't know. I'll spend 20 minutes looking for a golf ball. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> yeah. If you thought you knew what some men were really thinking... We keep on playing along with this pick-up-the-check crap, and we can't even tell a joke in the workplace. Really feeling... Seems like everything. Work, these women, feel like they're getting out of balance. And really doing... She said that. Bitch. No, I didn't. I, I didn't say that. I mean, I didn't mean it. You're in for a little surprise. Say we were to find some gal... I mean, this person's just vulnerable as hell, and we both hit her. Hello, yes, I'm calling for Christine. My name is Chad. Did she get the flowers? You would be caught dead with her, right? In a company like this, with these guys around. I got a whole crop of these young dudes after my desk. If I get low numbers two months in a row, they're going to feed on my insides. You are so beautiful. I like you. <laughs> I said it, it's out. We should be careful, though, you know, now that she's seen us. Maybe one of us should pull back. Yeah, maybe so. Who should it be? I'm sitting here, some asshole who cares about you, and you're in love with him. The most talked about film this year has no graphic sex. It wasn't a game. I mean, we, 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 No physical violence. You know, we're doomed then. Seriously, as a race. No natural disasters. Are you going to be grouting in there? I'm coming, I'm coming. Jesus. Nothing but harmless conversation. I hate this guy. Oh, I hate that guy too. Sony Pictures Classics presents... Oh, man. What? I despise that dude. A film by Neil LeBute. I gotta head out and catch you guys later. Yeah, good to see you. You too. And the winner of the Filmmaker's Trophy for the 1997 Sundance Film Festival. You like that guy? Him? You're kidding me. I hate that prick. In the company of men. It's funny. It is. It's just <laughs> way out there. Uh. <laughs> Yes, I mean, just the, the the one of the nastiest movies that you will you will ever see, where these men string along a, a woman who is hard of hearing and makes her think that she's found the love of her life, and it just reminds me of like how horrible Lemon treats this 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 poor girl. Uh, I mean, I guess she she's her own person, and I glad I'm kind of glad that she goes and and leaves him for that stretch of time and puts him in. The, this bad position kind of late yeah. in the room. But like she seems somewhat because of the language barrier, unaware of how he how, has actually loathes her. He loathes <laughs> her. And a similar kind of dynamic here. I haven't watched um in the company of men for a long time, mm. but just some of the moments from that just say and it's just the, the nature of Neil Labute stuff, as controversial as it is just has stayed with me for, for years. And doesn't like women all that much. Like I just watched his Wicker Man and I'm like, Oh, he really does not. Uh, no, that, I watched. That's an awful, his Wicker Man is a disaster. Oh, I'm oh, it's not a, good for another day. That's yeah. a conversation, but I don't think that's the best of him. I, I kind of know his, his theater work, but it might be a separate conversation about his, his upbringing and background and all that, not as an excuse, but I, I, I have noticed that, especially in his early films, the female characters are treated horribly. I mean, it's just, I don't know. Yeah, I watched this straight after Charlottesville, which was not the good best time to watch this movie because I was very acutely aware of these bro dudes in suits being very entitled. And the last shot of um, Company of Men is a guy screaming into the camera, listen to me. Uh, that, oh. made me feel, that made me feel very uncomfortable. The whole thing she's like, oh. Yeah, it is. I'm just like, 
Oh, no. Um, and I always get the feeling Neil he thinks he's in on the joke, and I don't think he exactly is. I think something is coming through that's very, very nasty in, in his movies, yeah. um, even though I think he's actually trying to reconcile it in a weird way, that he's actually just trying to come to grips with how he feels, but there's that undercurrent that just keeps coming out, and, yeah, it's not good. And um, How to Kill Your Wife is an incredibly misogynistic movie. Oh. I don't know how else to explain it. It's the height it's of – worse um, and worse. I, and this is what Playboy. I – it's, it's that Playboy, oh, you're better off without a wife just a mistress and if you get a wife well you're screwed it's you can't be happy in a marriage ever because women are the worst <laughs> well yeah again I, I'm, I'm looking at like I'm, I'm just trying to figure out how i guess it was 65 but it was 65 yeah, I, mean, I guess it wasn't late 60s yet but it still seems like maybe in the 50s, something like this would be green, green lit. But I, I thought particularly with Lemon, I don't know, unless he did this for a paycheck or something like that. I I, I, I don't know why. It, it's almost a movie that makes me sort of lose a little bit of respect for Lemon, even though he was living in the world that he was living in in the mid-60s. But it seemed like most of his choices, uh, even to a certain extent the fortune cookie, is more progressive. I mean, I think, you know, or... They are. It feels like an outlier, but at the same time, it feels like it's trying to do what um, Billy Wilder does so well, is kind of taking these very kind of, at the time, transgressive ideas. And then, because um, Richard Quian Quian actually directed a movie I really love called Bell, Book and Candle, with um, Jacqueline is also in it, uh, Jim Stewart, and, um, oh, shoot, she was also in um, Vertigo. Um, or was it... Yeah, um, and it's just about a witch who falls in love with a human man, Stuart. Um, and, oh, yeah, Kim Novak. Um, and it is a really sweet movie about this beautiful, gorgeous woman who finds the man that she's in love with, and Jack Lemmon's actually really cool as also, I think he actually might play saxophone in this movie. Oh, no, he's the bass and uh, someone like a hot, but he's, he's a kind of musician. It's got Elsa Lancaster in it. It's a really sweet gentle movie and so I think they were actually just trying to go for a sex comedy like Billy Wilder they think would make but just a fundamental misunderstanding of what Billy Wilder does and it turns into this um because yeah Playboy started in the 1950s and so before you get to the sort of the sexual revolution of the late 60s you get this whole men can play around idea and it's healthy for men to play around and having them stuck in a marriage is not healthy there was a thing really going around in, in the 60s and then when women started trying to do it they're like oh okay no 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 you, you can't be doing that so it's it feels like a kind of a misunderstanding of the character that lemon would play as well as the kind of movies that jack lemon was making kind of around this time when you're sort of dealing with the dynamic of the sexes say um with uh, uh, Sunset Boulevard from 1950, which is about a very different power dynamic between a man and a woman, um, who are also completely having sex in that movie. Um, and I'm not entirely sure against uh, William Holder's um, consent as well, which makes that movie even more interesting. Um, but it is, yeah, it's just this weird fundamental misunderstanding. And I think they're trying to be funny with a dark material matter, and they are just not it's getting not it. So time you get to that speech at the end when Jack Lemmon going, Oh, women be shopping. It's kind of like, really? 
And the whole idea is that she can't speak English. She's very Italian. So she's cooking. I mean, she's, she's cooking for the man 24 seven. I mean, this is a great life. <laughs> yes. And he can't stop complaining about it because his misogynistic butler is basically saying, no, I can't live with a woman. <laughs> and it's just like, what? <laughs> as soon as he goes, I want to get rid of my wife. He's like, let's kill her. Like he is full on. I, we need to kill. Yeah. Um, with it and the whole idea, I mean, the idea of him having to play out everything in his, his comic strip is an interesting idea. Again, it just doesn't work. It doesn't it's, work. It's, it's more to do with the script than anything else. Yeah. Well, it's not well directed. I don't think either. I mean, it's yeah. just a, yeah. I, I, like the, that action sequence and, you, and you're just like, what's going on here? Oh, you don't understand what this is. It's okay. like a, a, um, a Bond uh, movie. What is happening? Yeah. And it, and then when I realized what it's like, this is ridiculous. Nobody, nobody would do this. And, you know, I guess to uh, announce to everybody through your cartoon that you're going to murder your wife and your wife goes disappears shortly after that. Is that not predictable that you would then get arrested and yeah. possibly, you know, I don't know, maybe even get the electric chair. I, here's, here's where this could be a, a, a fun movie in, you know, and except there's one scene which kind of, ruins that at the end but maybe we could ignore that one terry thomas who I, again i the things he says are awful all right yeah uh but i think he is the actor who's the most comfortable with the material in the film yes uh, and does the Declan best is not. you can tell he's he's not comfortable <laughs> and it's like it's like watching some family member say the most awful things when jack lemons give that speech it just it's oh anyway um but terry thomas does a good Good job playing this Charles the Butler. What if the entire movie is that he's in love with Stanley Ford, with Jack Lemon? Yeah, and I from, thought that's that's where I wanted the movie to go, and it didn't, and it made me and upset. And it didn't because <laughs> because of course at the end, and, and she's even she's not even given a name. Um, the, the the wife she's given Mrs. Ford his name, but yeah, when yeah when uh, when when Verna Lisi's uh, uh, mother shows up. Um, the mother-in-law suite is occupied by her at the end, and we get this idea that oh, her and the butler are going to have a romance now, and that that kind of throws that idea out the window. But if the whole thing was kind of a repressed uh, homosexual uh, desire or something, that mm. and it was all about the butler because he starts off narrating the film. He does. Yeah. They abandon that idea after a while. I don't know why they do, but. Mm. why they did that but um then it might be i'm not sure a good movie but it might be a slightly more interesting movie yeah i don't think richard quine was the man to direct this movie um i think it, to have a movie like this actually jack lemon and theory is the perfect man to play this because he has the ability to be charming and skeezy at the same time we've already talked about this in the apartment we've talked about this in shortcuts we've even um mm talked about it in um to a degree in fortune cookie like he's always the good guy he's always been able to have those and when he's able to have those two things in play he's really really good it's just this just doesn't work and he feels he does feel very uncomfortable it's i mean this is probably the most sex comedy of the sex comedies and we are in this list um and we have still got to talk about some like it hot um but it would have been so much more fascinating to um to kind of do this. I mean, he kind of plays with these ideas in Advanti. And even if I, though I don't, I like Advanti a lot, but he still manages to give kind of, Oh no, these people do want to have sex at some point. So, um, 
uh, Jack Lemmon and Mills, um, Julie Mills, actually are sexually attracted to each other, and they do actually yes. want to be together at some point. Yes. When you look at she's and she's a beautiful woman, and she all she does is um, do th she does things. Everything she does is for him. It's not for anyone else. She is going to be the typical Italian wife, and that is suffering. That is the worst thing you could possibly want out of life. Um, I mean, it sort of goes into, oh, I just thought of a movie where they're playing with that idea, but they did it so much. Oh, no, actually, no, it's not that. It's kind of um, like the odd couple where you have these two men who are divorcees. And this is, again, like 60s. This is meant to be great. Yet these two men are miserable without their partners. So they kind of form their own kind of cool little relationship mm -hmm. with each other, which they do drive each other mental, but it's yep. kind of um, played out in a slightly smarter way because it's, um, what's his name, writing it. And Neil Simon, it is this, yeah. Neil Simon writing it. So it feels much more sophisticated and everyone's drinking martinis. Um, but yeah, they kind of form their own marriage together because they don't have a marriage because they miss their marriage and they do go on a date. And then Jack Lemmon does go and live up with the sisters. Um, but it's this really cool way of looking at um, uh, people having uh, dating and having sex, people who want to be in a relationship and kind of realizing that even though you drive each other mental, you do have a cool kind of connection with each other. And I think um, the odd couple does everything that how to kill, how to murder your wife is trying to do, but does it in a smarter way. Um, you do realize that there's no sexual chemistry between Matthau and, and Lemon. They make that very clear that they're divorcees. This is yeah. the thing situation, but they do have a relationship, an intimate relationship still. Um, and their communication and everything, their miscommunication is handled a lot better other than having her spout just Italian and not, and being adorable and Jack Lemmon just glaring at her. It's yeah. Watch the odd couple instead of the Anatomy of Hawaii. It's a much better Lemmon performance. Well, and, and one of, one of the other things about this, I, I, I guess, you know, from, from reading, I, I had a theory, but I'm, it's completely wrong. And, and she was dead at this time. Marilyn Monroe. This yeah. felt like, I, and when we get to talk about some like it hot, you know, Wilder, or I, I, I think Lemon would have worked with her again. But I think um, he would have. But Tony Curtis was being a dick, but nah. this, this feels <laughs> like if Marilyn Monroe had been alive at this time, she could have nailed this role. She would have. Could have yeah. elevated that. Um, they were looking. They wanted Bridget Bardot, I guess. Uh, Bridget Bardot would have been good. I think she, she would have come in and nailed too. it. Like she would have yeah. ran rings around the Lemon character and you wouldn't have felt so lost in it. I mean, yeah, Bardot would have been an incredible choice. But, but I, I just think because, uh, I mean, as uncomfortable as Lemon is, you still have to get up pretty early in the morning to keep up with him on screen. And oh, Terry, yeah. And Terry Thomas was just uh, such a big presence in the film too. She gets a little bit lost. I mean, she it does. seems like, again, it was, it adds to the sexism that she's, I, I hate this term, but I'm using it anyway, like eye candy type of thing. Like she's this oh, beautiful she is. girl. She's and beautiful and blonde. As a and result, she's the second lead in the film. But, it, and I, I guess she had a pretty good career uh, throughout, but I, I Oh, just, she worked a lot in Italy. Yeah, she, she yeah. was fine. <laughs> yeah, she was just fine. But in this movie, she just comes across as kind of forgettable and bland. And I, and I really wanted really her to be a strong yeah. character. That's maybe another way that the material, again, I'm not sure this would script would ever work, but maybe it would have been a less frustrating experience if she had a bit more, other than walking away from him, which is just in the script, but she could 
like there was some way for her to give it to to lemon a little bit more throughout other than just kind of going about and doing these nice things she's doing for him mm. that he doesn't appreciate yeah it is um yeah she's kind of a the character's already underwritten and and then you kind of um, have sort of Jack Lemon and Terry Thomas. And Jack Lemon, even in the performance I don't like of his, he's still high energy and he's still kind of taking up the energy in the room. So it's kind of unfortunate. So, yeah, I'm like angry. I'm like, oh, man, I wish Bridget Bardot. She wouldn't have, she wouldn't have put up with that shit. <laughs> even no, as an actor, no, she'd have gone, uh, yeah, no, no, no. This, there were meant to rewrites, I'm sure, you know. Yeah, there needs, yeah, she would have wanted some rewrites. She would have um, made her character a little bit more smarter and a little bit more um thing. And 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 yeah, because she's friggin' Bardo. Um, no, I think it's, it, it feels like a misfire. I can kind of see what they're going for, but because they're men in 1965 who obviously re have read some Playboy articles, they think this is kind of what sexual revolution is. Um, and it's not that. Um, I kept thinking about um, the odd couple going, oh, they did this the right way when you're talking about divorce and bachelorhood yes. and forming relationships and not wanting to be alone. And they did that all in, and yeah, and the wives and, and there are, you do not meet the wives in the odd couple. I think you hear Mathal swearing at his wife on the phone. So they, no, it's still it. kind of got that, that element, but in this one, um, they, yeah, it was just, conceived badly and talk about a film aging terribly <laughs> oh, oh it's one of the worst like as i'm running up against this with so many movies that i review for this show but this the most maybe of any any well controversially maybe weird science as well even though there are people that love weird science but people john say, i like weird science though now i look at john hughes movies going hmm yeah i think yeah <laughs> of the time Let's say yeah. of the time, and this was of the time, but I don't think this was a good of the time. Like even no. in '65, I don't think any reasonable person would say that this was a a great film or a, a good film. When but you, I, yeah, when you're looking at movies that were even made around this time, it's still yeah, who were dealing with very similar subject matters. I mean, okay, the Doris Day and the Rock Hudson movies are highly questionable because it's always about how do you date Doris Day, and it's like yikes. Those movies are, slight, are way more engaging than this movie. And you can look at um, uh, Pillow Talk in so many different ways as in terms of the queer undertones because of Rock Hudson and what he was doing. But also, why is this movie all about trying to date rape Doris, uh, Doris Day? I don't understand. Um, it's, it's Yeah, but there's a lot more meat to it. And I actually still like watching those two characters on screen, even though I'm like going, hmm, yeah, we need to have a conversation about this movie. <laughs> And I, I think that's the thing. Like of the six, this is the one I was I was most worried about how you would would take to it because <laughs> I, if I you know I I don't know I just but I've also I've listened to your show and I think as long as there's a conversation you don't mind if something's dated or if it's no. you know politically incorrect or whatever. But that you know and and sometimes I can defend some of the I I would never want to or try to defend this movie it's just uh to me it's just a bit of a, a bit of an unfortunate mess and look when you like older movies you were going to come up against this kind of thing yeah, um always. and even now i mean there are movies in the 90s where you cannot say the actor's name and they are a big part of the landscape i'm talking about kevin spacey again he's a big part of movies in the 90s and how they worked um you can't get away from him um god weinstein like yeah. He was my adolescence in terms of how I discovered movies. And yes. 
when you watch movies, this stuff is going to come up. It's just you don't usually see it as blatantly as let's kill the bitch as you do in this movie. But no, I think there is something to talk about. I'm never going to sort of dismiss a movie, though I will be talking about The Wicker Man soon, so that's going to get me very angry. No, this there's always something interesting to talk about, and especially how a movie's aged, and especially with this conversation of these movies, especially the next movie we're about to get into, should not have aged as I think as well as it has. Yeah. Um, I think it should be, we should be having the same discussion about it like we are how to murder your wife, but some like it hot because he was a humanist. It doesn't come off that way for me. So it's just how movies play out in, in a time they're made and how you see them now and whether that makes them more interesting or you're going, shush, Jack, shush, can you please shush? <laughs> Stop talking. since Scarface, so much action. Not since the Marx Brothers, so much comedy. Not since the seven-year itch, so much Maryland. The best picture this year will also be the funniest. Good night, sugar. Good night, honey. There's one thing sure, boy never met girl like this before. You've never laughed more at sex, or a picture about it. You stay here as long as you like. Jack may have beaten Tony to the sugar, but not for long. You're not giving yourself a chance. Don't fight it. Marilyn sing the fabulous songs of the Roaring Twenties on the United Artists soundtrack album. Running wild, lost control, running wild, mighty bold, feeling gay, reckless too, carefree mind all the time, never blue, always going, don't know where, always showing, I don't care, don't love nobody. It's not worthwhile All alone Running wild Now, uh, we, we talked a bit about a Best Picture winning film, The Apartment, and Some Like It Hot has been voted the best comedy of all time according mm. to the American Film Institute. Yes. And I like Some Like It Hot quite a bit, but I've never once thought of it as being like the best comedy of all time. I, I'm still not there yet. I, I mean, there's a lot of really nice things I have to say about it. There's a few things where I'm telling uh, I'm not sure, but it... It was. It's always. It's a classic. It's a very successful film, and so I'm, my my thumb is firmly up here. Don't send your hate mail yet to me on this one. But it's it's 
interesting to me that I just, I, I kind of smile, but there, there isn't a lot that I'm really laughing at. And I don't know if it's because of the era I live in or, or something like I've watched it at different decades of my life. And I'm still waiting for that moment when I'm just like, oh, this is, this is so, so laugh out loud funny. But I think it's a very well-made comedy. And there's a lot of stuff in the, you know, behind the scenes with this film and particularly with Marilyn Monroe, I, as I understand it, uh, you, you probably shouldn't take your information about the shooting of this film by watching the movie Blonde, which uh, came out on, on Netflix about no. Marilyn Monroe, uh, because a lot of that stuff's completely made up that happened on the set of Some Like It Hot. And it was funny, I just watched it for this review, and then I watched Blonde after that. I was like, that didn't happen, did it? And I looked at it like, oh, this was completely dramatized mm. and made up. But what was true is Marilyn Monroe showed up late, took many takes, but I think it's that thing uh, that you said about Billy Wilder wanted it exactly the way he wanted it said. And she got stressed out and got more stressed out and she couldn't get her line right. And it took take after take after take to get the performance. Perhaps controversially, though, I think Marilyn Monroe gives the best performance of the three leads in the movie. She does. Yeah. And she is not because she doesn't have to be showy with what she's doing. I mean, she's she's singing in there some classic songs that she sings too in, in those performance scenes. Mm. They don't feel like tacked on extras because they're they're part of this band and Mm. But there are moments in both Tony Curtis and well, and uh, Jack Lemmon's performances because they're having to pretend to be different people mm. where it feels very big. And it, oh, it's huge. This movie and, is incredibly broad. Yeah. Mm. And, yeah. And, and, and maybe that kind of takes me out of it a little bit where I'm not like laughing at it, but I'm just kind of watching, oh, that's how are people believing that these two are women or how are they believing that Tony Curtis is this, uh, this, this multi-millionaire they're playing off on the idea that I guess Marilyn Monroe's character is a dumb blonde. There's archetypes in here, but I, I guess it, you know, at the same time, it was a controversial movie. There were some states that banned it because of the cross-dressing. And, and so the dangers I'm looking at through a 2022 lens where cross-dressing in a film is, is, is nothing or on stage or whatever. But yeah. at that time, this was very progressive for audiences and Billy Wilder was pushing the limits with this film. He, uh, it wasn't up for best picture that year, but he was up for best director. Lemon was up for best actor and it got s several technical awards. I think it won for costumes. So. Oh, the costumes um, in it are amazing. Yeah, I love how this movie looks. Yeah. It's 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 a very good film. I would never steer anybody away from it. So let's get into our uh, our doubles with it. What would your uh, double be for Some Like It Hot? I am actually going to go for a movie I haven't seen for a long time, but there's always one line that always gets quoted when people say this movie, and that is, of course, Kindergarten Cop. He's a cop in a class by himself. He is fearless. Unstoppable. Unbeatable. I forgot to introduce myself. My name is John Kimball. And I love my car. Yo, man, I'm just gonna keep an eye on it for you, all right? See what I'm saying? Now, he's going undercover to face his toughest adversary. Listen, Kimball, you gotta handle this like any other police situation. They speak their own language. You walk into it showing fear, you're dead. They play by their own rules. No fear. No fear. And they are totally ruthless. No fear. No fear. What's the morning and out the food? 
that teacher is teaching the golden rule. Kindergarten cop. American history of practical man. He's a cop in a class by himself. Shut up! What's the matter? Oh, I have a headache. It might be a tumor. It's not a tumor. It's not a tumor at all. The new comedy from Ivan Reitman. Arnold Schwarzenegger. Kindergarten cop. They're horrible. From 1990, directed by Ivan Reitman, which I only found out yesterday that he directed this. I completely forgot. It's not a tumor. Um, no, this kind of, I don't know if this movie starts it, but it feels like the popularity of the trend of people being someone else to either in, go undercover or to get away with something. Um, and this was huge in the 80s and 90s. I grew up with so many of this. And of mm -hmm. course, one of my favorites was Kindergarten Cop with Arnold Schwarzenegger having to pretend to be a kindergarten teacher to get some information out of a kid for some thing and the big action star has to go and deal with five-year-olds um i love it oh i remember loving it i need to rewatch it actually but the yeah, immortal line it's not a tumor is still one of the greatest line reads ever <laughs> yeah I, I i haven't watched that movie for years but i mean hmm. it's it, it just seemed like schwarzenegger at the time he, he kind of moved the initial terminator and predator movies and established himself as a this action star which continued mm. throughout but he had really good taste or the people choosing roles for him and surprisingly good comic timing as well like yeah. he is a funny, very funny yeah like, uh, the connection with ivan reitman and twins mm. and kindergarten cop and like they weren't all gems i guess but I, or or not all successful i guess he discovered he's a really good comedic actor and mm. um and that was uh that, that's a great choice you know I, that's not how i was thinking and again i don't know what it is because i i keep going to like darker material for my pairings uh, mm. with this show this is one where i i had two i have to make a choice and then i'll probably mention the other one just so just for interest sake here, i had two for um how to murder your wife i was either going to go for uh jeeves and worcester or what lies beneath which is actually about a man who was yeah, and I have seen that one, and yes, that's absolutely it, yeah. That one actually caught me off guard because Harrison Ford is never the, that guy, and he is no. he plays that and guy pretty is, well from memory. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I think I'd like to revisit that one. I was kind of mixed on it when it first came out and, and saw it in theaters. I haven't watched yeah, it since. Great choice there. I will go with, I'm going to go with The History of Violence, David Cronenberg's film. One win and run, coming right up, boys. Bye. Hey, Mr. Stahl. Hey, Jared. They were gonna kill us. 
saved our lives. Hello, my hero. Tom Stahl is a family man with long-standing ties to this community. Right now, this community is rallying behind him and calling him a hero. Way to go, Tommy. Great, more reporters. You don't look like reporters. You're the big hero. Really don't like talking about it, sir. You sure took care of those two bad men, Joey. My name is Tom. It's Joey. You tell me. Sarah! Sarah! My daughter, where is she? What's going on, Dad? They thought they knew me. Thought I was somebody else. Nothing to worry about, Mrs. Stahl. I've been watching over. I don't know what you want, and I don't really care. You should care about what I want, because what I want might change your life. Why don't you ask Tom and ask him how come he's so good at killing people? Yeah, and this idea of uh, kind of escaping witness relocation, escaping the mob, the Philadelphia mob in this case, and he goes and he has this different life that he's leading with his wife and kids in this small town, and then they discover that he's there. Again, I didn't really go through the, the premise of Some Like It Hot, which is a, a classic movie, but uh, Jack Lemmon and Tony Curtis escape the Chicago mob because they yeah. witness this murder, and they dress it's up the as... St. Valentine's Day murder of all things. That yes, was the coolest Day murder. Yeah. And they dress up as women to join this all-female band to go mm. uh, play gigs uh, in this hotel, in uh, resort hotel in Miami, Florida. And in this case, Viggo Mortensen is, uh, <clears throat> has uh, created a new life for himself. But uh, this one day, just as it happens, uh, has this encounter again with uh, some people who recognize him and, uh, and then start to descend on the town. And they have to deal with it. And as it happens, of course, for for the sake of this film, there's uh, this big uh, Italian. What, what do they use? They call it the Italian something league. Is having some sort of a conference in this hotel in Miami, but really it's just a a meeting of all of the mobster families. And they happen to figure out what the Italian uh, defamation league or something like. League, yeah. yeah, yeah, which is interesting choice there so then they spot they spot lemon and uh, tony curtis mm. there and then they have to deal with how to get away from uh, uh these mobsters for the rest of the film there so mm. so that was that was the the, the other one i was kind of thinking of was the crying game because a movie i have not seen since a long time ago um no. and i don't know how well that movie's aged <laughs> I, I, I don't know it, it no doubt it's well made but yeah how it's aged i don't know but there is a point, and yet it said explicitly in, in our last scenes where Jack Lemon does maybe perhaps too good a job of being a woman and has attracted this uh, millionaire. Who, oh, they totally still get married. I can, I, yeah, yeah I, I think they live happily for and, and there's going to be, if he wasn't listening properly in that last scene, there, there's going to be a discovery at some point. If he, oh, you know, I, well, here's the thing. I think that they, he did. I think he doesn't care. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, and he, he says, well, nobody's perfect. You nobody's know, perfect. Brilliant yeah, so last line of the film. Greatest so. last line. I still giggle yeah. it every time. Um, this but is, I... At the end here, but yeah. So I, I want to love Some Like It Hot. This seems like a line I have a lot on my show. I want to love it, but I like it a lot. I kind of love it. Um, it's not my top five 
Wilders. Um, But every time I watch it, I think, yeah, I think Jack Lemmon is perfect in it. I think Marilyn Monroe, it's her show. I think she steals every scene that she's in. Um, I know it's very famous for the fact that she wasn't doing a good job and the fact that, you know, uh, Curtis and Lemon had to be perfect in every single thing they shot. But I think it was more Billy Wilder wanted to do a certain thing a certain way and she just wasn't doing it. She wasn't saying it exactly. Um, I know that this was meant to be her comeback, I think. Um, so she was already really nervous, very insecure. I can't remember. I think she'd either divorce. I think it might have been Miller. Um, it was Miller around that time, yeah. I yeah, I think she'd just come off a divorce. She started not, the movie pregnant, I think, and, and had a miscarriage at some point during something, the shoot. Yeah, yeah, there was things going on during the shoot that were really difficult for her. This was meant to be her comeback. It kind of was for a while. Um and then, unfortunately, events took it, took took their course. But she was very sad, troubled, a lot of things going on uh, woman. And she was very nervous about working with Wilder, like very nervous. Um, yeah. And because she was a very insecure person in, in, in general. Um, so, yeah, don't read Blonde or watch Blonde and think this is what happened. It wasn't exactly that dramatic. But Wilder was being a bit of an arsehole. And, um, but the shots that they got when she's on fire is – incredible she is as soon as she walks into that movie and um just fully Marilyn Monroe and there's a dress that she wears when she's singing her final song and I think it's the same dress she's wearing when she's with um Tony Curtis on the boat she looks like butter like there's a way that she moves and just sinks and they're like oh my okay you are the sexiest woman on the face of the planet you are you can't keep your eyes off her um and I think she kind of diminishes Curtis's performance because Curtis is essentially, you think at the beginning of the movie, it's Jack Lemmon that's going to be the straight guy. It's, mm. but it's actually Tony Curtis, even though he's talking about, he's talking like the guy from the world's most rich and famous houses, whatever that show was. Like he's got this yeah. berserk accent when he's being the rich guy. Um, and he's got like, he's half pretending to be a woman. He doesn't really care. Um, with his Jack Lemmon. Cary Grant, by the way. He was trying to do a Cary Grant impression. Oh, was that it? Oh, that's a yeah. terrible Cary Grant impression. Cary Grant said it was awful. I don't sound anything like that when he saw the film, but yeah. Yeah, it's like, no, that's not, you sound like the guy from this old TV show. I think he was in uh, um, Them. Robin, or what was the other? Oh. Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. With, Lifestyles uh, of the Rich and Famous. He sounds like that guy. Um, yeah. And, yeah, and I, he's not, the strongest link in that and i generally like tony curtis if you've ever seen like sweet smell success i think holy crap um and though this is a great story about how him and walter matthau were in the same acting school and walter matthau told him he couldn't act and then to get back of him i think he drove past him one day so i just yelled i fucked some woman <laughs> it was just like screw you walter matthau um but yeah i think but i think jack lemon is fantastic yes. in this this movie um i love the fact that um i have read an article um that i think it was from a, a trans writer who was talking about the movie that um she uh for because you know when they're going to be Jer- uh, josephine and geraldine which is joe and jerry so it's yeah. kind of thing but she decides to take on a whole completely different identity as daphne yeah. um and she becomes daphne in a lot of respects um yeah. and in that scene when you have to go oh my god you have to go remember i'm a boy i'm a boy um you have to remember that you're a boy you cannot get married and she's like oh i'm engaged like you know it's this is happening i'm happy um and i think she does create her own identity and so when he goes no when the millionaire goes well nobody's perfect i think he legitimately does not care that um daphne is 
in fact, a male. Yeah. He just, so he had eight wives. It didn't work out. Maybe it'll work out with Jack Lemon. That's how I read the movie. And that is purely a 2020 <laughs> reading of it. Yeah. I don't think that was the joke at all when you were watching it, that um, Jack Lemon's cre- is becoming, is essentially embracing Daphne as, as, as the, her, her being. And she is Daphne. Um, I don't think that was meant to be the case. Um, I don't even know if everyone still reads that way today. I can sort of seeing a lot of cringeworthy people sort of in that movie going, oh, um, because yeah, um, men dressing up in women's clothing for a joke is very contentious now. But yeah, he uh, Jack Lemon just goes for it and becomes Daphne. There is a distinct Daphne personality, and um, I absolutely love it. Where Tony Curtis is very much play acting in it and then you got marilyn monroe who's just being adorable and great and funny and whip smart and i don't know I, she's amazing in this and her her performance of I'm, I'm through with love uh, yes that is that's an example of like i'm a bit of a i have different ideas about musical theater than or, mm. or, or musicals than some other people where you know a lot of people are about oh it's all about the singing but mm. you have to be able to act and yes. you're a character and you are performing the number and that's how to do it like the way that it, I don't care if it took two million takes to get it. You watch that performance of that song, and how could you deny that she was not a great actor? And I had just watched Niagara for the first time shortly before this, hmm. completely different type of character, and she is brilliant in that. And so I, I just firmly, I'm just like, I, I mean, I'm not the first person to discover that Marilyn Monroe was a lot more than what her image was, but hmm. but it, it it's. It's front and center and some like it hot. And I, I, I'm glad you agree with me that her performance is the best in the film. And walks are so interesting as far as the physicality. Oh, um, she's, yeah. Her walk when she first enters, there's something magical about that. But then we also have that awkward walk with when we first see Tony Curtis and, and, and Jack Lemmon's. Not uh, doing well in heels. <laughs> Lemon, I guess there's somebody who was trying to teach them how to walk with heels. And Lemon said, like, leave me alone, because what I want it to be is, I, I want it to be a little bit awkward. That, mm. you know, this is the guy who is trying to wa- walk, trying to pretend to be a but the fact that it's a little bit off and, and he's unsteady on his feet, that that adds to the character. And there, there's just such good nonverbal moments in that way. Oh, right. when he's dancing, when he's dancing around with Marek is basically saying, I'm going to get married. This is great. Yeah, um, yeah. He, he is so fully in the moment and the way he sort of embraces being Daphne and when he's in, the, in a bathers and having a great time it is kind of a cool moment and the whole joke of like oh you're so flat i wish i was that flat your clothes fit better on you um and it's just realized no because he's got a he has a boyish figure because yes. he has a boyish figure but yes. it is um no marilyn monroe always had i think i think the problem with marilyn monroe is that her personal life kind of overtook her yeah. professional life um the fact that who she married what happened her tragic death the fact that she everything she did was in the news like the poor woman could not get away with no. Oh, she she had made some very questionable choices toward the end of her life. Maybe falling in love with JFK was not the best mm-hmm. decision she could have made. Yeah. Um, and when you sort of hear stories about later in her life, she seemed like a very sad, lonely woman who didn't know how to connect to anyone um, or wasn't able to because um, they always saw Marilyn, they never saw Norma. Um, and, I mean, the great line from Rita Hayworth is like, Oh, they go to bed with, um, oh, shoot. What was the character, that movie, famous movie she was in? Glenn Ford. Oh, oh yeah, Gilda. 
They go Gilda, to bed with the, the Gilda, they wake, they wake up with Rita. Yeah, and yeah. That, that, and that's not what the men want. They wanted Gilda. Um, and that's kind of the same for Marilyn Monroe, but when they are looking for the fantasy of your screen presence, it's got to be incredibly sad. And she's amazing in this. I mean, she's playing the ukulele at the beginning when they're practicing on the train. It's such a great moment. It It is, um, she's just so vibrant and alive and she just sparkles on screen. And yeah, she's really good. And when she's sort of talking about how she's never wants to do a saxophone player ever again and the reasons why and ah oh, no she's so good her and jack yeah i think tony curtis is the one that kind of lets everyone down a little bit in this movie and i think he is actually pretty good i just think he's the boring straight guy so i it's not as interesting <laughs> Yeah, and I think he was the lead. He was less comfortable in the role. It's a good thing that they like he could play that as, as ridiculous as it was that that other millionaire because it was a few more scenes where he was doing that as opposed to pretending mm. he was a woman because he just wasn't as as good at it as as yeah. Lemon was. And but it makes sense to me in some ways that the Academy went with Lemon for a nomination, but they probably should have considered Marilyn Monroe. Yeah, but, they should. But all the the stories that were being told about her mm. and all that got in the way and, and she wasn't ever treated like she was an actor and she really was a, a mm. great actor and if she'd been given more chances to show what she could do and if she'd lived longer I think there would have been a bit of a different story. And She's amazing like she's so heartbreakingly good in, in Misfits. Um Oh, yes. Yeah. That's right. yeah. Um, which I need to watch again, but that's very sad. Um, no, it is. Yeah, I think this is a really fascinating movie because I think it's aged. As I keep saying, I think it's aged better than it ever should have because yeah. men cross-dressing, pretending to be women um, for a reason I think can be very cringeworthy. And I think it's purely because of Jack Lemon, actually. I think because he just like dives into the character and just, this, the physicality of it is, of it is amazing. Um, and the fact they have to sleep with their wigs on, I think is hilarious. <laughs> And it's not done for a cheap laugh. I guess that's that no. when it's done poorly and it has been done poorly for, for, for generations, then it is for, for some cheap laugh or a gag or something like this. And that's the world's moved beyond that. And, and this, this film did it right. There were probably copycats afterwards that were oh, not, yeah. were not as, as, as happens with copycats, not, not anywhere as effective. So. It, it's a very good movie and again kind of like fortune cookie but i've watched this one a lot more than fortune cookie mm. i keep waiting for the viewing where i'm gonna be like that's it i've been an idiot all along this is the greatest comedy of all time i don't um, know if it's the greatest comedy of all time but yeah. i think it's one of billy wilder's best actually flat out comedies yeah, yeah. um just because i think again this movie has a lot of heart to it i don't think the them dressing up as women is it for a cheap joke it's part of the plot and you yeah. do get one of the guys absolutely respecting the fact and he's the one that kind of gets it more of what it's actually like to be a woman it's like jack lemon's actually the most attractive out of the two of them so um Oh, he's done up prettier. Yes. So he he's the one that kind of gets like I love the gag in the elevator when he gets pinched on the butt. Like he's the they they get a little. I mean, it's not like Tootsie when Dustin Hoffman really has to learn what it's like to be a woman. Um, mm -hmm. and but I think there is a touch of hey, men won't leave women alone. <laughs> oh, I didn't a know little bit happens until yeah, it's a, it's news to these guys, but yeah. Yeah, it's news to these guys. And it's news, definitely news to Dustin, Dustin Hoffman and Tootsie. Like, that is what I find is funniest. It's like, uh, Hoffman, please don't explain feminism to me. Please don't. <laughs> it's such a surprise to him. He's like, what? Women get treated differently? Yes. <laughs> Yeah, shocker. Yeah. Shocker. Like people, if they haven't, for whatever reason, seen some like it hot, I think uh, people should check it out. And I'd be interested to show this to uh, somebody in a younger generation to see what they would think of it. If they didn't balk at the black and white photography, which even Marilyn Monroe didn't want it to be shot in black and white. She wanted no. it in 
Billy Wilder was one of the, he kept doing black and white for quite a while, even Fortune Cookie, which is in 66. Um, he really loved black and white photography. He, I think it took him a long time for him to actually come around to go, okay, fine. I'll shoot in color. It was like uh, Irma de, de Elche, I think yeah. with, again, with Shirley MacLaine and um, Lemon. Another movie that's way too long, but Lemon's hilarious in it. Um, but it is, yeah, he really loved to, he loved black and white. And yeah, The Apartment is the last movie that has won an Oscar that was in black and white for Best Picture. They, they mentioned Schindler's List and The Artist after that, but. Yes, um, I forgot about those two. <laughs> but, but yeah, I was kind of, of that era, the last one. Um, mm. And there was a long 33 year stretch between. Um, it was Schindler's List, wasn't it actually? That was the last, and, was the next black and white movie. And that was a choice to make it, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and yeah, and then the artist one with their the silent film idea there. So yeah, those were the only only two in mm. in uh, recent memory. I love black and white photography. I guess if it had been in color, they they had trouble getting the makeup right or something. There was something that would have been just awful with Lemon and, and Curtis, where they would have looked all yeah. green or something. You I, can I tell because you can tell they're painted very black and white, and you can tell Tony Curtis has a lot of like painted makeup on yeah. like there's moments when he's out of his wig and still in makeup and you're just like whoa that's a lot of makeup <laughs> that that's a lot um but no the the black and white photography is amazing the um it's again still feels very modern um the costuming is beautiful especially yeah. what they get marilyn to where she's just oh, yeah. just absolutely perfect um i love the hotel um i don't know everything about this movie is just really really well done um and every time I watch it, I like it a little bit more. Again, it's not my favorite world. It's not even, if I had a top five, I think it's his more darker ones, but it's still got the greatest last line in history. I mean, oh, when people say it's got the greatest last line in movie history, yeah, it's like nobody's perfect. That is, it is a great gag, but also it is aged so well. Like yeah. this guy's just like, yeah, I don't care, man. Yeah, no, doesn't matter. I'm in love with you anyway. It's fine. <laughs> and that's why I think they actually do end up together. Like, I think they just go live on his boat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Are we dressing for dinner? You no, know, just come as you are. So you're pretty good with that racket. You should see my backhand. Will you see me serve the meatballs? Hey, Lindsay Wilkins, thank you so much for being on the Shelf Shedding Movie Show. And once again, everybody needs to check out schlock and awe it's a it's a wonderful podcast what a great idea you're able to go into uh more of the detail in your analysis because it's only two movies and i do six with mine uh so please check it out and you always have great guests and uh, it's, it's just an interesting conversation and a real celebration of all types of movies so thank you for coming on and i hope uh hope we can do this again uh oh thank uh, you for having me this was a blast so i'm gonna go into the uh the points part here and uh i'll ask you first the apartment how many points did you give the apartment okay i tried to give it all the points when i was first doing this so i had to scale it back to 15. and avante avante um but i gave that seven points and shortcuts shortcuts all right shortcuts 
Uh, I gave 13. And the fortune cookie. Fortune cookie, uh, I gave 8. And how to murder your wife. 5 points. And finally, some like it hot. Uh, 12. Yeah, I, it is interesting. There are a couple deviations here and there, but our points are very, very similar. Uh, this is, this is a, a good thing, I think. I actually gave the apartment more points than you did. I gave it 18 oh. points. And Avante, exactly the same. Seven points, just yeah. like you. So Shortcuts, I said that I, I love this movie. I also love the apartment. I split the difference between the two. I also gave 18 points to Shortcuts there. So uh, there's, yes. there's a bit, bit of a difference there in points, yeah. but not, not a big one. I gave the fortune cookie seven, and so you mm. and you gave it eight. So yeah. pretty close. About the same, yeah. I, I was hardest on how to murder your wife. I gave it two points. Thinking Real. back about, oh, I could have given more points to all the other movies instead of giving five points to how I, to murder your wife. I, um, <laughs> I just did not have a good time with it and mm. uh, it was probably worse than the first time I saw it believe it or not I thought okay this is where it's gonna be it's maybe a five or something but as it got into that courtroom stuff it was just like this was this was dreadful so mm. so I'm like it hot maybe an ungenerous eight I gave it you gave it okay uh, yeah more points than I did but because I had given a lot of points to two of the six movies here that's how that kind of went the big winner is The Apartment with 33 points followed by Shortcuts uh, with 31 and then uh, Some Like It Hot is third with uh, mm. 20 points followed by The Fortune Cookie with 15 Avante 14 in fifth place and the movie that must leave my movie collection not really a surprise based on our reviews is How to Murder Your Wife Yes. So I have as part of this collection, but they have, uh, fortunately, they have their individual discs. So oh, that's is, good, because you show me the full pack. I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> yeah, it's its own thing, How to Murder Your Wife. So what do you want me to do with this? Uh, maybe sell. Uh, if it's got its own thing, maybe sell it. But um, I don't know who else would want that movie. <laughs> it feels like the, the thing on the full pack that no one wants, which is always, there's always one when you get there's a full pack. There's always one, isn't there? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, there's always one. Okay, I'll I'll, I'll try to figure out how, how to do that. Maybe. Yeah, I can't, yeah. I can't condone even a movie I don't like to um, throw away. So. <laughs> Thank you so much for being on the show. And uh, yeah, I, we, we will hopefully hear from you uh, again in the future. I, open invitation anytime that, uh, I know it's a time commitment with my show because of the number of reviews and you are such a busy person and you, you have a show out every week. This is kind of the point in the show where I do some shout outs. So of course, uh, Matt with Film Feast, which you've been yes. on and he's been on your show a lot. So I want to shout out his show, my buddy Larry Parsons show, Rank and Review, and then also Kurt Fitzpatrick, a uh, friend of the show uh, with a, uh, a Lifetime of Hallmark. And of course, from this point forward, Schlock and Awe is going to be mentioned at the same time too and i'm gonna encourage everybody uh, who, who listens to this to check out uh the show and i think uh, try to get a few more canadian viewers there for <laughs> for your show you know I, uh, i'm sure you get lots of views and just the the, the number of people and perspectives that uh, that you get it's it's just a wonderful thing so thank you again so much oh no thank you so much for having me just getting to talk about jack lemon and these movies has been an absolute joy so no, thank you so much and i think it's just inspired more more shows they want to put together connected to lemon or the lemon mathau dynamic and uh, yes so lemon drama is all just like yeah mathau yeah. versus uh lemon would be so fantastic yeah, yeah interesting to see where i fall on what i'm working on right now is how to there's a few mm -hmm. more i need to acquire to be able to do that but i'll i think that'll be uh i'll be good and again my message as i as i always do at the end of the show is just to those listening just be safe and be kind to one another and we need more kindness in the world and keep supporting the movies